welcome everyone to the Screamcast episode 92. I am Sean Drager. With me is Brad Henderson. Yo! We are starting up Heavy Metal Horror Month. Heavy Metal Horror! Mm-hmm. Is that how you do that? I don't know. I can't I ever know. do that. I, if I, like, I think I sound good, but <laughs> I, I probably don't. Yeah. Just kind of like how I probably do in the podcast. That was awesome. Um... We're going to be talking to John Michael Thor a little bit later on in the podcast, so stick around for that. Um, and then, of course, we'll be doing our segments, Stream Screams, and VHS, oh my god, uh, talking Maximum Overdrive and Hack-A-Lantern. We are hoping BJ joins us. We will see what happens. Um, the same thing may happen as last week, but we will see. Uh, no worries either way. She's a busy busy gal so um it is true but a lot going on on the site we we had an impromptu podcast happen but we can announce everything like officially now yeah yeah well we 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 had the battery guys on talking about uh text montana so if you haven't listened to that podcast listen to that shit and uh support text montana uh will survive text montana will survive is that how you do it? Because there's an explanation, exclamation point. Yeah, I think you kind of like, you know, you're like, Texas Montana will survive. <laughs> no, it's like they're telling you he's going to survive. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so. Uh, that's awesome. Want- but uh, you you have actually, uh, because we're not, I mean, we're doing heavy metal horror month, but we're not discounting uh I guess it's Women's History Month as well. So, we, of course, we do Women in Horror Month. <laughs> women, women Histories. This is like Women's History, right? There's Black History, Women's History. Is that how it is on February? I don't know. I don't pay attention <sighs> to this stuff. It's, it's. <sighs> Why do you keep saying Women's History? Is it Women in Horror Month? Women in horror, yes. Well, I don't know why you're saying. I looked it up online and said February was also like a women's history month, so maybe that's why you do women in horror. I don't know. Uh, it might be. I'm, you know, to be honest, the women in horror thing is new to me, new ish to me over the past couple years because I never really paid attention. Uh, I always knew February to be Black History Month, (laughs) so that's all I really ever paid attention to. Uh, I like it. I <laughs> yeah, like it. I don't know. I'm just being honest. I'm not, you know, I, I am I am what I am. So I Googled it today, like, what the fuck, you know, what is it? What, what is it, women's in horror or women's history? And I looked it up, and maybe what I looked at was wrong, but it said February was also women's history month. So that's hey, why I said it, that. Hey, it could be. It could be. It could be. I could have missed Google. Maybe we'll ask BJ, because BJ, BJ would probably know a lot better than we would. Yeah. We're talking about hey, women... We're Talk, learning too here. Talking about women shit and we're just dudes. But um anyway, well, what I'm saying horror, is I'm just let me let me interject. <laughs> this is women in downhill horror, fast. No. Yeah, if you keep <laughs> talking. Uh women in horror is important. It's, it hasn't been around for you know very long. Um you know because women have always been objectified in horror films and stuff like that. We did have the final girl, but the final girl has to be, you know, the virgin or the good girl, the bad girl can't exist. So, you know, it's just something that has, uh, you know, women have 
you know, I'm not going to say I don't watch movies with boobies and stuff. I and mean, we're not trying to be, you know, white knighting over here at, at all. <laughs> but, you know, women in horror needs to be celebrated a little bit more because especially these days, I mean, women are making films, they're writing, they're becoming more and more popular in uh, in the horror industry. And, you know, it's, it also is met with a lot of negativity because, um, you know, it is a male-dominated genre and a male-dominated industry. So it kind of needs to be embraced um, a little bit and, you know, some recognition uh, for the for the work they've done. So totally. we decided to celebrate that as well. It's only been around for, I would say, a few years. So, you know, I, I want to say okay. seven to okay. be exact. So that's – um, okay. And I don't think it's that gained, a, you know, I think it's gained more and more popularity as, yeah. you know, each each year goes on. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool. We're going to be, um, you know, talking uh, talking about it a, t- a tiny bit on on the show. And then you'll see articles pop up here and there uh, from certain people. We had one uh, from Tristan Risk, who is one of our guests. Uh, she wrote a uh, very, very funny article, to in my opinion. Yeah. It was, I, I laughed pretty hard. Um, but anyways, you know, just contribution. If they're inspired by an actress, uh, filmmaker, um, you know, a, a film itself, or maybe even have a personal experience, whether it be positive or negative in the industry, just kind of let people know, you know, this is, you know, it's not as easy as it may seem, Um you know, especially in the horror industry. So, anyways. yeah, I mean, it, it, genre films in general have been pretty misogynistic. You know, um, right, right. The Boys Club. Uh, I, you know, I just saw, uh, I just saw Jessica Cameron post. She posts like a gif of like a stick guy with a big dicks with the with the dick swinging back and forth, and she said like, "This is most of the meetings I've been involved with this week." <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I think it's something to be said. It's not to you know bash men. Like I said, we're not fucking. You know, it just needs to be uh, celebrated and recognized. Yeah, then that's it. We're not here to point fingers or play the blame game for anything. Well, I think I think you know we're seeing a lot more you know um, strong women in movies in general, especially in in you know genre type films like sci-fi and horror. You know, it's just 2015 itself with Mad Max. And then Star Wars: The Force Awakens, um, you're seeing strong women as lead characters and contrib- contributing to the story more than just a love interest or clinging to the guy to be saved. And I'm I welcome that more and more mainstream. It happens a lot in more independent and things like that. But I mean, in the mainstream film, you know, culture, it's cool to see that my daughter, you know, who's ten now, has you know these action genre role models that she can look up to you know as strong women who don't have right. to take shit and that's that's fantastic yeah i mean dude we had one of the you know biggest movies of last year was you know mad max uh fury road who we had a lead woman basically in that take yeah. over the position of mad max and there's a crew like, we can talk about it so spoiler alert there's a crucial moment in that movie that like is so it impacted. I think it impacts so hard. It's going to be in people's minds too. It's such a small scene, but it's the scene where they only have three rounds, yeah. and Max is trying to shoot them, and he misses twice, and then he hands it to Furiosa, and then she makes the one shot and clips him. Like that's like that's huge. Yeah. Because what the fuck, Max? Like you can't make the shot. <laughs> the woman can. That's super badass, though. And I, I think. 
I think it's very important, you know? Yeah. Uh, BJ has joined us. Hello. No more technical difficulties. And my technical difficulties, I mean, I found my fucking headphones. Nice. Those damn headphones. Yeah. Well, it's either it's either I have headphones or you guys get to hear literally everything in Cleveland. <laughs> nice. Well, we we appreciate the headphones, but I'm sure it, you know it would be fun to hear all of Cleveland during a show. You we really don't. Hear, we we no. kind of hear all of Cleveland anyway. <laughs> <laughs> True that. Awesome. Well, BJ, glad glad you can join us here uh, we are we are briefly talking about uh women in horror month and from from what i was saying was for me it's i've only kind of noticed it the past couple of years mm-hmm. and i was wondering we were wondering if you can shed some light on why that would be how long has it been women in horror did it start off as something else because I, I said i said seven years brad says you're years. right it is seven is is February also like women's history as well, or am I just totally off no. base? No, nope. all it was. Google, is, um, you suck. Google <laughs> sucks. Um, Hannah and Erotica, who was she also does the Axe Wound Zine, founded Women in Horror Recognition Month because seven years ago was sort of when the big surge of you know writers and bloggers and what have you really started to come about within horror specifically. And with that also came just more of an awareness of independent voices, both as, you know, critics and journalists, but also as creators, because obviously I'm going to come from Chicago at the time, but also, you know, knowing about like the Midwestern horror. So I was talking about all these like underground Midwestern, you know, filmmakers, which means that there's going to be people in the Northeast and the Southwest that are also going to be talking about these independent and underground voices. And we were discovering that there were a lot of female-directed horror films that were getting little to no attention um, that were really, really good. Um, so that's kind of how Women in Horror Recognition mm-hmm. started. Um, she chose February because it's... Um, you know, 28 days. And that is also the length of, you know, like your menstrual cycle, you (laughs) go every 28 days. Um, and then it's also like Valentine's day, which tends to be a more like feminine holiday. Um, so that's why, you know, February was chosen for that. But what's cool about women in horror recognition month is that it does spotlight a lot of voices and storytellers that you, a lot of times you know, wouldn't get the attention otherwise. And I would never in a million years say, you know, oh, we need to make exceptions for female filmmakers because I don't want that. I don't want the asterisk of, oh, that's a good movie for a female Mm. director. But the unfortunate truth is that there is a stigma attached to female directors, especially ones that are working within, you know, male dominated genres like horror, sci-fi action, Mm. what have you. So having a month like that to kind of celebrate the work that is being done and spotlight the things that, you know, may not may not get as much press on the big sites because they don't have a giant, you know, promotional and marketing team backing their work is really awesome. And, you know, there's a lot of different schools of thought about women in horror months. Some people think that it's ridiculous. Some people think that it's, 
you know, like, oh, it's just another month to circle jerk the Soska sisters. Like, whatever you want to say, I don't care. <laughs> because there's a lot of really good things that also come out of it. There's yeah. also a massive blood drive that goes along with it. So if you're going to shit on something that also has charitable donations, then you're just kind of a shitty person. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see no harm in showcasing the works of an underrepresented group. There's nothing about that that is wrong to me. If people want to do that for, um, like, you know, Hispanic horror filmmakers, fucking start Hispanic Horror Month. Do what you want. Like, take the initiative and fucking do something about it. Because at the end of the day, that's what Hannah did. She said, I'm tired of seeing women, you know, marginalized and not, spotlight you know spotlight so i'm gonna do it myself because no one else is going to and that's what's so awesome about it is that it was completely grassroots and now it's become kind of this big thing yeah and it's exciting and i love that i've been a part of it since the beginning and i'm going to be a part of it for many years to come very cool and of course we're not you know i i think we're going to be doing a lot this year with the women in horror month and it's not to take away from because it's black history month as well last year we did uh, three episodes on black exploitation. I'm sure if anything comes up and, you know, if there's anyone out there who wants to write from that perspective in horror, we would definitely welcome, um, that voice as well. So, oh, absolutely. You know, it's not like we're, oh, we're just going to single this out. I mean, we're, we're here we are. We're going to create heavy metal horror month as well. So it's, you know, February is going to just, just going to be a kick ass month, uh, on, on the screencast. We're going to be celebrating a hell of a lot of things. So. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah, yes. I am too. Celebrate everything. That there's, it's so easy to just bitch and complain. Celebrate everything. <laughs> if you like it, celebrate it. Praise it. Talk about it. Be happy. Be excited that you like these crazy heavy metal movies. Be excited that you like, you know, people of color directing horror. Be excited that you like women directing horror. Just be pumped about the shit you like, man. Yeah. Damn straight. Yes. Uh, um, very cool. Well, let's jump into what's on our doorstep. Holy cow. I almost forgot. We'll get the door. Okay. <laughs> Your responses right after I introduce the segment are always ridiculous. I'm just I'm just acknowledging you, Sean. <laughs> All right, Brad. Uh, since you're so jazzed about it, let's hear let's hear what's on your doorstep. Good stuff. Um, mine's mine's quick and easy. I Which means um, we got twenty instead of thirty. That's fucked up. <laughs> um, I um, I got to got around to watching the last Witch Hunter again, the new <laughs> uh, Vin Diesel movie. Oh um, yes. I don't I don't believe I spoke about this on the podcast. I'm Did I excited ever? for it? It's, I saw I saw it in theaters, um, and I was kind of anxious to see it again um, on uh, you know when it came out on uh, Blu-ray. So I, g- I gave it another shot. I like the movie because I like stuff about witches, so I'm already biased. However, um, the film lacks a lot, mainly because it feels like this should have been a big trilogy. Because there's like three like big little stories in it that by the time you realize what's going on or it's you know it's over like you feel cheated in a mm. way like this would have been a great trilogy because it feels like three different movies smushed into one. Um, it's it's got 
you know, decent action. The special effects are here, there sometimes. Yeah. Um, however, just, I don't know. It, 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 it's a fun movie uh, for, for what it's worth. Elijah Wood is, is you know, great. Uh, Vin Diesel is, you know, fucking Vin Diesel does the slow turn every three seconds with his, <laughs> you know, jaw hanging on the floor. Um, but anyways, it's still it's still a really fun um a fun little movie. I just wish there was a little bit more to it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I suggest people checking out, especially if you like the kind of like the sci-fi, not really sci-fi horror, but, um, I don't know what you would call it. It's like it's, a weird, like fantasy horror. Yeah. Type yeah. Fa- thing. Fa- fa- fantasy horror, I think would be, um, you know, the, the way to go. I, I think people will, I think most people will walk away from the film saying, uh, eh, it's okay. But I think that if you look at it and you kind of dissect it, you would understand like it's really a fucking cool little story. It's just they really don't achieve anything because it's always cut too short. Gotcha. Okay. So um, next up is uh, Draft House Films uh, released uh, this. It's called um, The Keeping Room. I saw it at Fantastic Fest. Um this year and I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's just a small little revenge kind of western. Um, it's about a house that is occupied by some females and they get caught up with some shit with some bad guys that are basically just into murdering and fucking causing chaos. Um, so they make a run for it. They get followed back to the house and they have to survive the night with these, uh, men trying to, well, they're men. So you kind of get the idea. (laughs) But um, it, it, Britt Marling's in it. She does a great job. Uh, she's, you know, top notch. I mean, she is kind of all the time. Um, Haley Sten, uh, Sten, Steinfield? Haley Steinfield? She was in that, you know, um, she was in Barely Lethal, the new Kyle Newman movie where, you know, it's secret agents and shit like that. No one. No okay. one saw Barely okay. Lethal. Didn't see it. Sorry. Sure didn't. Oh, uh, Kyle Newman, the guy that did Fanboys, that was his latest, uh, latest slick. Um, okay. it's decent. You know, it's, it's like, it's a little quirky, like, girly movie with some action in it. Eh, it's alright. I forget what else, she played in, uh, oh, she was in Pitch Perfect 2. She plays the new, the new recruit. Um, I'm sorry, uh, as soon as you said the title, I forgot it. What was it? <laughs> the Keeping Room. The Keep, yeah, no, The Keeping Room. Okay, I got that now. All right. Yeah, and then, um, Sam Worthington, who is, Basically, kind of a, just a soulless vessel, kind of like um, <laughs> Courtney. Courtney die. Courtney die. Yeah. I think Sam Worthington is good when he gets to speak in his own accent because he's he's Australian. So when he gets uh, to not try and act like not try the bland American accent, he's he seems to be decent. But like because he was in the movie uh, Rogue, that alligator or the crocodile movie. Yeah, and uh, he's pretty. He's pretty decent in it, and he's you know in his talking in his native accent. But when he tries to these, when he does these Americanized accents, he just comes across super bland. It's really weird because he's in another film. I saw the trailer for, it and he was you know it was, looked like an Aussie flick, and he he looked awesome. I mean, you know, he didn't. He seemed to actually yeah. have life. He's, I mean, he's okay in this, um, but I mean, he he doesn't really bring much to the table. I mm-hmm. mean, our stars are 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 the ladies because it's a very, um, you know, it's it's a really just it's just a fun movie um, in, in the sense of kind of being a revenge 
uh, Western. Cool. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely check it out. It is, it is a little bit slower, but I think that the acting is what makes up for kind of the drawn out. Cause you, you know how it's all going to unfold. Basically, you know that they're going to get to the house, you know, that they're going to have to survive the night. It's just getting around to that. It, it, there's not a lot of substance to the film, whether than oh, something bad's going to happen. Is it going to happen now? No, it's going to happen a little bit later. She's got to walk a mile <laughs> in order to get there. So, anyways, um, the other one, I finally got to see the new Fantastic Four. Oh, God. Oof. I'm I sorry. Did not, I did not like the new Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did anyone else, so you're not alone. Oh, man. I, I, I saw this in Target for like $9.99 or 10 bucks, and I almost bought it just because I was like, well... You know, it's, it's not worth it. Wait until it's, it's like it's negative $4. Hear, it's just horrible. Where they like give you the money and <laughs> give you a five spot. Like that, yeah. then, then it's worth it. Man, I, tell me about this. Tell me about it, Brad. It's um, it's not very good. It, it kind of it, the setup in the beginning, how it opens. It's a little fun. You know, um, you know, uh, Richards is like. You know, a little kid, and he's standing in front of the class, and they're like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then he explains that he is building this uh, transporter in his garage, and the kid's like 11 years old. Um, And it's really fun. It actually, you know, kind of sort of works. And, um, you know, they establish Richards. They establish the guy that plays, you know, Thing or whatever the fuck it is. Um, But anyways, it just loses everything once everything starts happening. And it's not really a superhero movie at all. Hmm. Like, they don't become the Fantastic Four until about an hour into the movie, it seems. And then when they do, they, like, they're split up. They're not working together. They're just looking at their powers and, and they're, you know, strengthening them. But they don't really become Fantastic Four until like the last 15 minutes of the movie. And I don't know if there's like you have Doctor Doom, who is the main villain in in this comic book, who we only get about 15, 20 minutes of screen time. And the dude meets his demise, demise. Like, I don't or so I don't you under- think. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. It, I think we're, we're. I don't think we're going to get point. another one. No, there, there's the, this no, is the there, third run of make, Fantastic Four. You know, yeah, there, there is <laughs> one moment. There is one moment that is really fucking cool. Is when Doom actually escape escapes and he's making people's like heads blow up. Huh. Like that was pretty fucking cool, but that lasts like two minutes. So yeah, but like I, they're literally their heads are exploding, and I was like, what the fuck. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, it was, it was very not good. Um, and I understand why, you know, I was expecting a little bit more, you know, from the director of, uh, Chronicle, you know, cause I really dug Chronicle mm-hmm. quite a bit. I thought, you know, and, like he, he got the origin story down for the most part, but all the characters are really flat and all, all the actors other than Michael B. Jordan, but he's not even in the film that much. It seems, yeah. you know, it's mostly, uh, Richard. Richard's movie, and then he disappears. But then we take the focus out of you know Johnny Storm, Michael B. Jordan's character, and we focus on his sister Suzanne or whatever her name is. So it was it was a little depressing because I was hoping to really like it because usually when people are like eh, with superhero films, I tend to like them more because they're more story driven. This one tries to be more story driven, but it just doesn't achieve anything. You don't feel anything for anybody. You don't feel the camaraderie. You just everybody's just so flat 
Yeah. Do you think, I mean, so, I, I heard it was kind of the studio trying to push Josh Trank around or whatever, or he was being difficult as well. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, who knows, who knows sides. what it is. I mean, it obviously is a big studio driven film. They're trying to reboot, uh, you know, kind of a goofy franchise that existed before that. Yeah. But I just, honestly, I don't know if it would ever work because the characters are so weird, hmm. you know, like stretch, that's what you like. That's what you can do. <laughs> yeah. Like it. Like at no point in time it looks good. He also like, turned it, into like hammers and stuff. I uh, mean, I'm really glad they didn't do that. The comic book's super goofy. So, like, anyways, super. um, passed passed on that. And the other one, I kind of I didn't mention last week, but I'll mention this time. I, I finally got to see. I watched for some reason. I watched two movies that I knew I would not like. Um. Mainly because Willow wanted to watch it. I watched San Andreas. <laughs> oh, dude, this is by far one of the worst films that I've ever seen. Like, as far as a big budget blockbuster, it's like paint by numbers blockbuster. No, no, it's not even that. It's just so like off the wall. Like, dude. All right, let's just take for example the rocks. Or Dwayne Johnson, whatever. Uh, you he's know, the rock, he's, rock. he's always the rock to me. The he's the rock, people's champ. <laughs> you know, you have the rock, the rock's daughter. All right, who he's going through a divorce. He wants to pick up his daughter. The his ex-wife Carla Gugino, whatever his name is, married to old Reed Richards from the other Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> um, you know, and he is the stepfather figure is going to take care of you know, everything and go along. But there's that moment in the movie where he leaves her in the car. And I understand, I understand you shouldn't leave your, uh, you leave your kid, but in the heat of the moment, you know, he made a mistake. But then when Carla Gugino finds out, she's like, fuck him. I hope he dies. (laughs) Like at what point did you just not care about somebody? Like you are – you love this guy and I understand it's like, oh, they're going to get back together. It's something more than that. It's just like completely off the wall silly. It's funny like that I, that's the thing that took you out of the movie. It really did. <laughs> it really All did. the things that happened in this film. I mean it's just – it's like being there – like it's a big movie about coincidence. Like oh, things totally. are falling apart. Fucking – the, putting that plane in that little like area in the beginning of the film was just – Way too much. I, I tell you, um, the limo escape in the movie 2012 with John Cusack is probably more exciting than the entire uh, San Andreas film. But I mean, just everything like you say paint by numbers. I've actually never seen anything this silly before as far as, you know, because all end of the world movies are really dumb to yeah. me. Yeah. However, like at least somewhat you can believe or maybe there's some science behind it. And we have Paul Giamatti doing <laughs> Nick Cage 100 percent screaming at the top of his lungs. And yep. I just I can't take him seriously because he just doesn't fit inside the movie uh, whatsoever. Brad, have you seen The Core? Yes, I have seen The Core. And I I enjoy that on a level of. They were really, really trying to right. make something different. <laughs> right. They just never achieved it. San Andreas is just like – it's like a video game. Uh, 
that came to life about survival yeah. during the San Andreas Fault, I kinda, I which, which also is a um, – you know, San Andreas Quake is one of the Asylum movies. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I dug San Andreas for what it was. I knew it was big, dumb, and I'm a, I'm a fan of The Rock, and he rips off a door to rescue a person in the beginning of the movie. I was in, <laughs> but it's a big ball of dumbness. And uh, you're pretty easy to please when it comes to big balls of dumb. Yeah, I mean, if it's a big budget, like if there's something, if, I mean, I like The Rock, so like I was all, all automatically, or I'm down with this film, and uh, it's just it's just big and dumb. It's a little long. It needs to be an hour and a half. I think it stretches past two hours, doesn't it, Brad? I, it feels really. Long. <laughs> it gets long and after a while. It's like okay, just find your goddamn daughter and let's get this. You get yeah. out of here because you know you you and never once do you think any of these main characters are really right. be in peril. But that's the thing is like the only one that they totally trash and you want to see die is the dad. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah. For the stepdad, I'm like, but like I understand like later on he doesn't go back, but they don't know that, right? Like he went out of the car for help. Like shit's falling down. Nah, like, he, that's just he bitched out and left. <sighs> It's a bad judgment call, hindsight, but no one should be like, you know, if you don't know what's going on, you shouldn't be like, man, I hope he gets crushed. <laughs> That's basically what she says, is that True. she hopes, like, she leaves the message, is like, I hope you're dead or I'll kill you. <laughs> like, what the fuck, lady? Like, no, no wonder you guys are getting a fucking divorce. <laughs> So, but anyway, oh man, it, I would never, like a I would never tell. Cut of every time that line has been used for something, <laughs> oh. there's gotta be somewhere. If there's a smash cut of every single end note of an ACDC song, there's gotta be a smash cut of that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving along. You, what made you say ACDC? Because <laughs> it's heavy metal horror this week, baby. <laughs> but it's not totally out of context. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I think he recently watched. <laughs> I recently watched that, so it's on my mind. You're Is ACDC like playing one it? Person who watched no, there's that. a no, there's an there's a there's a montage of every the end of every single ACDC song ever made, and it's incredible. It's just it's just a bunch of bow bow ding for like five minutes. Huh. I don't know. Maybe I gotta check that out. It's super hilarious, um, and it, it'll annoy the shit out of your coworkers if you play it. I kind of don't want to do that. It seems it like we. Luke? I know. It from probably experience. this probably makes makes it seem like you and I probably wouldn't be friends if it wasn't for the podcast. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got you, you got to understand the off, the office dynamics that I work in. It's uh, it's all okay and hilarious, and then you know we all do shit to get on each other's nerves so it's it's you know it's a good office dynamic huh all right moving along uh bj what's on your doorstep i guess i'm done are you done <laughs> yeah i'm done I, I knew you were done <laughs> uh my doorstep's been pretty lame because we are pretty sure that the methods are stealing our mail oh. um <laughs> so that's been really cool to deal with so i've been dealing with that um, so I didn't get to watch much. Uh, I rewatched Teen Witch for probably the eight millionth time. <laughs> I, I rewatched re uh, Clueless because one of my friends is turning 30 and has somehow never seen it. Holy. Like, what? How have you missed this? Uh, so watch that. Um, but after our conversation last week, I decided to track down 
a little asylum film oh, called Avengers Grimm and actually watch the damn movie. Oh my god. So, like we discussed, Avengers Grimm is a mockbuster combination parody of the Avengers and uh, Once Upon a Time, the TV show Once Upon a Time. And on paper, that sounds like it could be a whole lot of fun and ridiculous. But unlike every other Asylum movie I've ever seen, this movie is taken so seriously. (laughs) Everyone who's in it is pretending as if this is their shining breakout moment and this is what's going to bring their career to the next level. There's no camp. There's no like comedy. There's no fun. It's like a serious like action fantasy movie about Rapunzel and Snow White having to beat Rumpelstiltskin and prevent him from whatever the fuck's destroying the world. But it's the there's no fun at all and usually (laughs) asylum films are like i can be like four or five deep and watch these and have a good time like there's not enough pot or booze in the world to have made that movie any fun it was one of the most miserable experiences i've ever fucking had in my entire life it was awful (laughs) like even lou ferrigno you could tell was like i need a paycheck so bad that i will do literally anything at this point it was <laughs> awful Hello. no fun at all and that's that's what was weird to me though is because the asylum kind of prides themselves on being kind of cheese ball with things like two-headed shark attack and sharknado so seeing something that was being taken very seriously threw me off and even if it wasn't an asylum film even if it was just some random person who decided they were going to make a fantasy superhero-esque movie, but with, like, you know, grim fairy tale characters, it still is a miserable piece of shit. (laughs) And no one should ever watch it. If you're going to watch an Asylum movie, make sure it's, like, a legit weird-ass parody, because Avengers Grimm is not a fun time. And that is all I saw this week, other than what we're going to talk about later. Wow. So I've had a miserable week as I am far sorry. as watching movies. It's so bad. So have like, you bought like bought movies? And I'm more concerned about the meth heads stealing your movies. Um, like, are they just stealing your mail or they're stealing like packages? So they they haven't stolen any packages yet. And we're, we've, we think we figured it out because they leave our packages and our bills alone. But they take things that look like they're cards. Um, because of money? Because there's probably money in them, it, I get is the logic that I'm assuming. Um, like my parents sent me a card for something and they sent it two weeks ago and it still hasn't arrived. Um, my parents live in Chicago. I live in Cleveland. It's a two-day transit. There's no <laughs> way it should take two weeks for things to arrive. Um, and then I sent out a bunch of thank you cards after Christmas to my family members and they were like really nice cards and, you know, red envelopes and all that. None of them ever received any of it. Yeah, I never um, got anything. That's weird. Maybe you should have bought me a Christmas present and then you could have gotten a red envelope fucking Christmas thank you card. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're pretty sure that anything that comes to our house that's shaped like a birthday card or a thank you card, the meth heads are stealing thinking there's money in it. Hmm. Because... On Monday, I got hit by one of them, who then proceeded to get out of the RV like it was fucking Breaking Bad, 
why are they living in an RV? I don't, I don't know. They have a house. It doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, they hit me with the car. There was no damage at all. <clears throat> and when I confronted them, like, do I call the cops? Are we calling the insurance? Like, there's no damage. What do you want to do? The husband was very, like, hellbent. I'm like, do not call the cops because I am definitely packing some drugs in this RV. <laughs> but the wife was like, look at this girl. She clearly has money. If we call the cops and tell him we're hurt, he'll make her, make her give us money. And I was like, do you see that there is not all paint on the hood of my car? I do not have money. Good, good joke, though. Awesome. <sighs> Get me out of this place. I'm sorry. What's on your doorstep, Sean? All right. Uh, <clears throat> wow. <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is not a movie, but uh, it's it's a book. I backed a uh, Kickstarter for The Art of Mike Plug, and Ooh. he is a storyboard artist who's done – I mean, he, he he's done like pretty much everything I've ever seen, I feel like, that I've loved from like the 80s. He started off in the, in the 70s working on Marvel Comics. He did the Man-Thing, Monster Frankenstein series, and he did some Ghost Rider – but most notably, he did like the storyboards for uh, Labyrinth, uh, Dark Crystal, the TV series, The Storyteller, the Jim Henson films, Little Shop of Horrors, Superman 2, The Thing, uh, the Ralph uh, Bakshi flicks, uh, Wizards and Lord of the Rings. And so it's like it's an art. It's basically a, a big it's like 360 something pages full of from sketch to final product of his sketches Um of all the movies he's ever done. And it's absolutely gorgeous. If you're a fan of art books, I love art books. And this is kind of like right up my, my alley. I think he also did some heavy metal stuff, heavy metal magazine. And, um, he did a whole bunch of like magic, the gathering cards. And this is like almost the biggest that his artwork for magic, the gathering, these are the biggest they've ever been reprinted <laughs> in this book. So it's just a gorgeous book. His artwork's awesome. Um, if you ever, if you just Google Mike Plug, P-L-O-O-G, look at the images and, and you'll, you'll know most of his stuff. So this was a Kickstarter. It cost me, I think like 50 bucks, but I got like a few extra, uh, I got, I got an autographed, um, print from him. And, uh, and then I got like another, like just a sketchbook. He took all his sketches that he's ever done in a sketchbook, stuff that's never been used or whatever. And he put it on this, this little mini book that came along with it. So I'm trying to fi- find out if the book itself is for sale anywhere. I know you can find it on eBay, but I think the publisher is going to be listing this for you to buy. So um, as soon as I find more information about that, I, I contacted them directly. I'll post, you know, I'll put out a tweet or put something on our on our web. Uh, I'll probably review the book on the website. And uh, but it's, uh, it's it's awesome. His his artwork's incredible. So. So I got that. So that was uh, that just arrived today. So I was giddy when I opened it up. Wonderful, fantastic job. It's it's always nice when a Kickstarter comes through and it's like even better than you imagined it would be. So it's a hardcover book, pretty awesome. Uh, <clears throat> and then I just got a couple of flicks I watched. Uh, Warner Archives released one of my favorite movies of all time on Blu-ray, The Ice Pirates. You would. I, I, lo- I, it's ridiculous how much I love the Ice Pirates because it's a stupid, stupid movie. Um, I don't know if it falls under like sci-fi parody. I know that they were kind of making fun of sci-fi. It's, 
in the there's a description that lists it as parody, but it's not like trying to rip off like Star Wars or anything in general. It's more kind of poking fun at anything post apocalyptic or anything that was space opera happening at the time. But it's done, you know, not trying to draw attention to itself. Like, hey, look how funny we're being. It's actually it's a comedy space comedy but the effects are done you know at the time you know they're almost done purposefully kind of shitty but but it almost can be it's like straddling the line between like how good star wars was and then like uh, how bad like battle beyond the stars is you know um so it's for me it's a fun movie it's fun to have it in hd i had i've had the dvd forever and i even had it in hd on voodoo but i'm glad to actually have it on blu-ray so I just watched it again for the first time in years, and uh, for me, it holds up. <laughs> I can see why people would not like it, but I think it's hilarious. So, uh, the Ice Pirates. I'm assuming you guys aren't Ice Pirates fans. I'm not a fan of the Ice Pirates. <laughs> I watched this so much. I almost watched it as much as Star Wars. That's how sad it is. I had a VHS uh, copy taped from TV. So. Religious upbringing must have been really weird for you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just I, I I adore the movie still. If there was an Ice Pirates art book, Ice Pirates art book, I would buy that in a second. What? That's such a that's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, because I'm not going to spend a whole hell of a lot of time on Ice Pirates. The one I wanted to spend a little bit of time on, Brad, because you tweeted out that everyone must rent this. And you've talked about it on the show. On the show, it's called Victoria, and it's a uh, yes. Uh, sing. It's a. Uh, sing, it's quote unquote single take, but uh, one shot. One shot. No, a single take. Right. One shot. I don't know. So the camera yeah, follows this girl. One take. Uh, she's a Spanish girl. Follows her around. She's in. I believe she's in. Where is she at? In Germany, or she meets Germans, but she's. She, oh yeah, she is. She's in Berlin. And it kind of starts with her, with her night meeting these guys and, and going through and, and, and eventually these guys, you know, talk her into doing something that maybe, you know, on, you know, hindsight, she should have maybe left the guys, uh, parted ways with them and maybe things would be easier for her. But, um, I don't want to give anything away because if you read a lot about this movie, there's, they're going to give stuff away and what it's about. I went in completely blind and I had no idea where this was going to go. And I really, really had a great time with this film. The acting is like, is incredible because it seems, I mean, you feel like you're just following these people. It's so naturalistic. Um, the conversations, because it's, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're all like, they can speak multiple languages. So there's some subtitles the way, but the way they interact and they don't know what each other's saying at certain times, the way they try to, you know, uh, communicate is really fascinating how it all works together. And, and it's just, it's a great movie. This, this girl, um, who plays Victoria, I don't have her name here. Shoot. I put, I, I pulled up like her cat. Is, her name's Victoria. No, no, it's, it's, that was a joke shot. I know. Laia Costa. Laia Costa. Something like that. But, uh, anyway, I would, I would suggest you, you, uh, Seek this movie out. Don't read a lot about it, and just, um, and just you know, let this movie unfold. It's it's always great when a movie can just kind of unfold around you and, and enjoy it. And uh, I, I just thought it was really really good. 
surprising in spots. In some spots, you're like yelling at the TV, like, why are you guys being so stupid? Um, don't do that. And uh, I, I don't know. I, it, the movie really affected me. It almost like pissed me off in certain ways because the characters were being so dumb. But in that moment, I think, you know, these guys aren't going to, you know, aren't going to be making the right <laughs> choices, you know, because of their characters. So it all made sense once the movie uh, wraps up. But anyway, uh, BJ, have you seen Victoria? I know that Brad talked about it. I don't know if you were. No, I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list okay. of the stuff that I want to track down. Um, but I'm always really hesitant with kind of the one shot. Yeah. Uh, flicks. Yeah, me too. And I, I still, I have silent house. And I still haven't watched that. Well, Silent House, it's portrayed that way, but it's actually, I think... Well, that's what I was curious about this thing. If this thing was done in a single take with no hidden seams, if it was legitimately... That's what they say, man. That's... That's that's incredible if they do that. There's a couple of scenes that could have been seam, you know, kind of scenes... But um, if they if they did this for two hours and eighteen minutes or however the runtime is, yeah, it's pretty long. A single camera following everyone around. I mean, that would be incredible. I don't think anyone can do that, can they? I mean, you're gonna have. I mean, what if someone fucks up a light or something, or you know, messes up? I mean, if they did that, that's incredible. Well, if they're if they're I good actors, doubts. they could cover it up. But I mean, yeah, have like, you ever seen a play? Good news, it's well, all memorized in one day. No, I know, but they're wandering, around the, they're wandering around the streets of Berlin. I mean, there's so many things that could, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a, incredible. It's, it's, highly, a, it's highly organized. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm, I would be really impressed. And I, I am, like, already the movie has impressed me. But if if and I but I figured there was some kind of some trickery going on there. If for if there was not, and they did this as a basically a play through Berlin um, with a single camera, that's pretty goddamn impressive. So I don't know. At any rate, no matter how it's shot, I, I think this movie needs to be uh, needs to be seen because I, I just think everyone's so good in it, and um, it's, it's well, definitely a calling card. Kino, for the Kino, Kino, I think Kino Lo- Lorber. Uh, announced it today that they're releasing it. Okay, it's so available it will, to rent on on you know Vudu or Amazon and, and things like yeah. that. So it's uh, it's it's. I mean, I believe it. I mean, I don't know why anybody would lie like that, dude. I mean, Russian Ark is bigger than that, and it's done with uh, one single take. And there's like fucking one billion people acting in that movie. Hmm. So like. Uh, it's, I mean, there are, but I mean, it's not that crazy. I mean, it's a very simple story. I mean, they, obviously they rehearsed it enough. The actors were, you know, very believable. I oh, imagine yeah. a lot of that's, you know, improv yeah. and just kind of on the spot. Um, there's a few like really, uh, like ambitious shots they did. Like when she stands on top of the motorcycle. Yeah. You know, because if what happens if you fuck up, you know, because you can't really, you know, you can rehearse as much as you want. But that that could be a really like funky thing. Um, But I mean, I don't think it's that unbelievable. I just think it's really cool that someone was able to pull that off. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, uh, so that that's all I got, though. Are you guys there? 
yes, we're here. <laughs> yeah. I was just, we're really boring this week, I guess. <laughs> like, no one watched anything crazy. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not like last time with the uh, <clears throat> goddamn asylum bullshit. Hey, I tracked down an asylum movie. It just happened to be awful and not fun. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it's. It, I mean, we all. Everybody goes through that. We all yeah. have those. Like, I've literally like been off one day and was like, "Oh man, I'm going to watch these movies." And like, all like three or four <laughs> bad. And then I'm just like, "Man, fuck life. I don't want to watch anything else." You know, it, it's 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 you know, it happens. Yeah. Um. I mean, mm-hmm. I I don't I didn't watch. Uh, I think I had two bad movies, two decent movies. But, you know, it's just one of those things that, I mean, everybody goes through it. So we're going to ha- have our on weeks. We're going to have our off weeks. Well, I, had an um, on I mean, that's why I had to watch Teen Witch for the eight millionth time. Because Teen Witch <laughs> is always great. And I was not in a good mood. I was like, what will make me happy? I know. Madam Serena. There you go. I miss you, Zelda Rubenstein. I miss you every day. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into some heavy metal horror. Brad and I got to speak to John Michael Thor. I'm going to play that interview in just a second. But I asked you via Jog, uh, this video thing, what your favorite heavy metal horror movie was. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. And I got a handful. I got five responses. One's questionable, but I left it in. We'll see, Let's see if you guys can. Uh, One's can questionable? Try. Well, as as being a heavy metal horror. All right. Just play it. Just play it. Just play My favorite it. heavy metal horror movie is Shock em Dead. Because it has everything that a good, cheesy horror movie should have. It's super fun to watch. Shock and Dead? All right. All right. That, that's a good one. Hey, everybody. This is Mike D. I'm going with 1987's Zombie Nightmares. My top yeah. heavy metal horror movie. Yeah, is nothing. One. says fucking heavy metal. Like Adam West, Tia Carreri, and John Michael Thor. You fucking know it. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Jeepers Creepers. Uh, <laughs> Wait. No. Is that it? Is it buffering? <laughs> that was the one. Wait, that's nope. it? Jeepers it sure Creepers. That's all I said. I don't know. It's not heavy metal. There's there's not even a, a song that plays in that movie. That's a fail. I'm sorry. Don't we have, like, didn't I establish a we don't promote Victor Sopla rule? <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got a couple more here. Just a few months ago, it would have been The Gate with uh, young Steven Dorff, but uh, yeah. after seeing Deathgasm recently... Death got to be my favorite at this point. It's just Hell yeah. modeled after Evil Dead 2. It's insane. It's gory. I loved every second of it. And not only does it celebrate heavy metal, but it also celebrates headbangers, which I am. I like this guy. He sounds yeah. like a guy you wouldn't want to fuck with. Yeah. He sounds like the voice that was, they uh, use. That was Steve Johnson. He's a, he's He talks to us a lot on the on. Oh, well, Steve, Steve Johnson, Johnson, you have you have the voice of every dad who's threatening a high school boyfriend <laughs> in an eighties movie. <laughs> like that's what you sound like, and it's amazing. Steve Johnson sounds like a badass. Uh, here we go, one more. We got Derek Smith here. Hey, this is Derek. Um, and my favorite heavy metal horror movie is Strangeland uh, by D. Yes. Snyder. Uh, it's super creepy. Uh, got a great soundtrack to it. Plus, it's D. Snyder. I like it. Friggin' rocking it as a bad boy. Even out creeps, you know, past Robert England. So there, there you go. There's my favorite heavy metal horror. 
I don't think Strangeland gets enough love. No, it doesn't. Is, is that an unpopular opinion? I don't. I don't know how where people stand on Strangeland. I think I, it, I think it needs to have like a like a small revival because I honestly think people have forgotten about it. And I think what hurt the movie more more than anything is the new metal soundtrack it had, because uh, even true. at the and that movie had such a tough time coming out. Like distribution was really hard for it, and then like it went to small theaters, went on video, and then it just kind of died off. But I mean, it's a decent film. Like the only thing that you could gripe about is the soundtrack. But you know, for us, well, like for me, example, it's more or less nostalgia, kind of like Blair Witch Two. I don't listen yeah, to that music like a anymore. Capsule. But I, I, I remember liking that music, and I'm not going to shit on it because I like. I'm going to laugh that I, you know, was a big Static X fan back in the day. Do I listen to Static oh, X now? No. What does that mean? <laughs> but yeah, hey, I listen to Static X too. You would. Um, so gross. <laughs> but you know, it, it's one of those things where I just, you know, I don't listen to it anymore. But I did at the time. I, you know, listened to Limp Biscuit. I listened to, you know. Dope. I, I actually still kind of listen to Dope's first album, but you know, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, Godhead and um, uh, Cold Chamber. You know, all those guys were on those soundtracks because that was the thing. But I don't think it should hurt a movie at all. And I think technically, maybe if you dig d- down deep enough, that's kind of what killed that movie. And also, mm-hmm. maybe DB Sweeney's the lead. We we're going to be Is talking. It DB Swe- it's DB Sweeney, right? That's his name. I guess. I don't know. We're going to be talking Strange Land. Uh, that's on our list, right? To, for one of our segments. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. should we should save so that. Press hold, save. Hold it. Save. Brad. I Take need it you down to relax. Notch. Need you to fucking relax. Um, let's get into this interview with John Michael Thor, and we'll, we will be back with our segments, stream screams, and VHS. Oh my god! Uh, oh after my this, god. but right now, VHS. John Michael Motherfucking Thor. I don't think that's his name. going to get right to it uh we are super excited to have our guest uh with us today the documentary i am thor is out on blu-ray right now it's also on vod uh we are talking to john michael thor john welcome to the screamcast hey all from uh northern british columbia up here and uh it's great to be on your show we're uh we're, we're, we're pretty huge fans um Brad probably has had more of a history with your music and your movies than I have. I actually uh, became tuned into your movies when Brad was doing a thing called heavy metal horror, and he was watching heavy metal movies um, and heavy metal horror movies. And one of the movies, of course, that he was talking about was Rock and Roll Nightmare. So I started buying and, and renting as many of these heavy metal horror movies as I could. And, of course, when I got to Rock and Roll Nightmare, I fell in love 
with uh, with your character, with the music, uh, just the fun zaniness of the film itself. And, uh, and then I discovered your music from there. So Brad was a huge uh, key into uh, into help, helping me dive into the world of Thor for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, that you you enjoy the movies and and, and the music and uh, you know and your support over the years. Uh, that's that's a big help. Those are the kind of things that drive me on to want to keep moving forward. Well, the, the documentary is fantastic. Um, it I, I it got a bit misty in the room for me because I can I I used to tour not as a musician but as a kind of a roadie stage manager but that touring lifestyle is addictive um, and uh, so I definitely definitely connected with me on on that level um, I'm gonna turn this over to Brad because Brad I want to hear your you know how you when you discovered Thor and your kind of history because you just you discovered him and his music out of out of the womb young age <laughs> out of the womb um, no I was. Uh... And I don't know how old I was, but I I found Rock and Roll Nightmare on VHS when I was when I was little, and I watched it, and it was just the music like drew me in so much, and my mom was watching it with me, and like she was like tapping her foot, you know, as she is, uh, you know, the songs are playing, and just really kind of got into it, and then it, it I forgot about the film for a while because I, I mean I saw it when I was very very young, and then later on, um, I don't know, in my teenage years, I, I came across it again. And I was like, shit, I was like, yeah, I remember this. And I, you know, started buying the CDs like off of eBay because at that time it was really, really hard to actually find any albums, um, you know, that were out of print. So I started purchasing those, getting, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to watch uh, more movies because I, I saw that, he, you know, you were in uh, a couple other films, you know, most notably, uh, you know, Zombie Nightmare. Um, and just was kind of hooked ever since then and, you know, kind of grew up with those films on my shoulder, just always watching them, telling people about them, how fun they are, of course, the music. So when I heard about the doc coming out, I heard about it last year and I just I saw the title and I was like, I am Thor. I was like, holy shit, is that about John Michael Thor? And I was really hoping to play at a festival nearby, but it, you know, unfortunately it didn't. So I, I finally caught it when it hit VOD and I was just. I was so happy with the doc and that's kind of where I want to start first is that, you know, it's, it's a very cool documentary. Um, you know, a couple things I do want to focus on, especially with kind of the interview, um, and what the doc says, the doc very much is about your life in the past few years. Like when did this, when did they start following you around with the camera? I'd say it was around 15 years ago. Um, you know, uh, Ryan Weiss and Al Higby were fresh out of, uh, you know, film school. And, and I met them in Seattle, uh, just when I split apart with my wife and I changed my life and I wanted to pursue after a lengthy retirement, the, the, the industry again, I wanted to put out records and, and tour. And, and so I was in, the, I was in Seattle and I invited them to come down and see the show and, um, you know, the, the rest is history. And, you know, I, I guess we, you know, all of us, all parties involved at the time when we decided, hey, let, you know, they want to do a documentary and I wanted to to do one with them and, you know, let them follow me around. We, at the time, thought it was going to be, a, a, you know, maybe a couple of years, but it ended up being a lot longer than that. How much footage would you say they actually captured with <laughs> you that they, they've done down to like 84 minutes? 
Like, I mean, 15 I years have, is a long time. <laughs> well, I actually think they have enough for 10 movies. <laughs> Bring them on. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, uh, seriously, there's, there's literally hundreds of hours. Uh, yeah. There's stuff that's on the uh, cutting room floor. I mean, from all that footage. I mean, you have to bring it in at an hour and a half, or right now it's an hour and 24 minutes. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, what I read, it, uh, a lot of there, there, there's not enough of, of, of the, you know, the front, the front part of, of my life. You know, uh, it's more like the there's a lot of the comeback. Um, but I think, you know, Ryan really did a great job to, um, edit the film where there's just enough of the front uh, part of the story. Sure, there could be more, but you know, this isn't Lord of the Rings. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's just enough to give you the picture of what I went through in my life, and then how hard it is to try to come back when you're sort of an underground uh, um, uh, personality or underground artist. Mm-hmm. You know, try to get back out there again. It's 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 not a, a, an easy thing. Um, and, and try to, uh, you know, I had visions, a lot of maybe visions of grandeur at times. Uh, that you know, but that's sort of the way I saw things in life. You know, when I first got into this business back in the in in the early seventies, as big as the Beatles. Well, you know. It's, <laughs> Yeah, you're setting your stakes high right away, uh, right then, right? You know, so uh, um, I'm happy with, with with the way things went in life, even with the ugly parts. You know, we, we, even with the ups and downs, look back on them now and where I am now, and uh, you know, I'm I, you know I'm, I'm having a good time at this point. You know, that's 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 good to hear. Yeah. It really is because I mean, some of these artists that you know we we see, and you know, even some of us relate to. Um, you know, sometimes they just disappear and we don't know what happened to them or, you know, they're, they're living a, a normal, a normal life, but we never know about it, which, which I kind of liked about the doc a lot was that we do get, you know, kind of an info dump and some exposition of your life from the beginning, um, up until, you know, kind of, I guess the late nineties is when our story kind of really, really starts. So m- most notably your comeback. And that's what I really like because, I mean, sitting around and th- thinking about the, the music and the movies, that's the only portion I really knew. Like, I, I kept with the music here and there. But, um, you know, it was really cool to see such an intimate portrait of your life and, you know, kind of, you know, kind of a darker uh, a darker aspect to it. Uh, you know, the struggles and everything like that. And also, you know, very humorous sequences uh th- throughout the throughout the film too so yeah i think i think the balance is there um could we went three hours yes but <laughs> you know of course three hour documentaries were crazy but i i think i think the balance is there i i think ryan did a great job yeah and it, it, it leaves enough uh room for um i believe it leaves enough room for like a sequel possibly, you know, like maybe bringing some of the elements and some of the film that was, uh, you know, not used and bring it in, you know, and, and I'm sure he could compile a part two to this whole thing. Yeah. You know, you know, especially if, uh, you know, where do we go from here now? Right. I mean, there's things happening for me again. Has it changed my life? Yes. You know, absolutely. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm getting more and more offers, you know, where I should be retired. Maybe <laughs> I'm actually 
kind of sort of at a pinnacle of my uh, uh, life right now and career. You know, I'm in my 60s, but I'm 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 actually very excited, and I feel like I'm in my 30s, uh, and, oh, and I'm great, ready man. to do some of these uh, offers to go to Australia, to go to New Zealand, to go to Europe. Again. Uh, you know, we're going to do a, a huge uh, production, an uh, rock odyssey that's going to be uh, uh, May 14th at the um, uh, uh, High, High Line, uh, uh, where, where Paul McCartney played and Bruce Springsteen, and um, it's in New York City, right? So that's going to happen, and, and uh, you know, some other uh, tours in the meantime. So I mean, there's a lot going on, right? Uh, and uh, other movies. I'm writing some other scripts, um, a book. Uh, so it's, uh, I think this, this movie was a catalyst to sort of get me excited again. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's great because I mean, there's, there's some, some actors, some directors, some, you know, musicians that don't blow up until after they're done or retired. You know, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast sometimes, you know, um, even though if you didn't make it, you know, what you would, people would consider big or big time, you know, it's one of those things that. I think the cult status between, you know, cause you were all over the place. I mean, everything from the bodybuilding thing to, you know, the, mu- you know, being a musician to being in fucking horror films. I mean, like seriously, like it's not a lot of people do that. And I, I think you've spread yourself enough to, you know, you, you've acquired such a cool little fan base, you know, to, to really, to really spark interest in it. And I think this documentary really ignites people like they're, they're going to remember those films. They're going to remember that music also turned people on, uh, that had no clue, you know, that, that Thor existed, I, I think is, you know, really badass. This is the type of documentary that should be made for, you know, basically everybody. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just an intimate portrait of people's lives. I think that's a, I think it's a really cool thing. Now, one thing that you did mention yeah, do you have anything to say, Sean? I've been talking. <laughs> no, no, go for it, and I'll, I'll jump in after uh, after this. Um, one thing I, you know, because our our podcast is very uh, movie oriented, so and this is our heavy metal horror month. We're dedicating the whole month of February to um, heavy metal horror movies. So, of course, one of our biggest questions, and you know, of course, what our audience wants to hear, and what wasn't really in the documentary, aside from. <laughs> <laughs> you know the ending scene in Roll Nightmare*. The best scene ever. <laughs> so you know what what sparked you getting into um, kind of writing and wanting to do uh, such a film like *Rock and Roll Nightmare*. Uh, other than kind of spreading, because you were in um, Ra- uh, Raphael's uh, Zelensky's *Recruits*. However, you know with what came with *Rock and Roll Nightmare*, how did that all unfold, and how did you get that gig? Well, I, I, it's funny you mentioned recruits. Well, recruits, uh, zombie nightmare and rock and roll nightmare all have a tie, you know, and, uh, they'll, they'll have a link, right? So, so, uh, I'll explain it, right? The, 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 basically, you know, it, it, when I was a young kid, I, I did, I did, besides, that was my interest in music. I loved movies. Steve Reeves is Hercules and, you know, Superman on TV, Adventures of, you know, Superman George Reeves, and, and so on and so forth. You know, science fiction invaders from Mars or Phantom of the Opera with Lon Chaney, you know. Uh, you know, I just loved all this stuff. And and so um, 
you know, I, I, I wasn't far from really wanting to pursue a movie career, maybe even more than I did a rock career. But, but I felt they went hand in hand. Music, music, and and movies, you know, yeah. are are natural meld. And so <clears throat> I always wanted to to be sort of this hero guy, but I also liked being the monster. When I was a, uh, a kid, uh, I used to. Uh, um, you know, do films where it was Power Man versus Kong, and my nephew would be Power Man, and I'd be this monstrous Kong creature or something, right? Rather than always the hero. Long story short, uh, you know, you know when I when I was having hits in England like Thunder in the Tundra and I Let the Blood Run Red, um, I, I had some offers to be in movies, and and so uh, um, they were filming a movie called Recruits, and they wanted a guy to play Thunderhead. And so I, uh, um, I, I just got back from England uh, to my, I was living in New York and London at the time, kind of jet setting, you know, this is in the eighties or mid eighties. And then I, they said, Hey, you want to come up and audition for the part uh, of Thunderhead? And I said, okay. So I flew up to Toronto auditioned for part of Thunderhead and got it. And, you know, the sort of the, the <clears throat> he was, he was a biker. He turns cop, you know, that kind of thing. Right. <clears throat> and so, um, Anyhow, I get the movie, and uh, the movie actually won a silver award in Europe. It was meant more for the European, sort of the European Police Academy. Uh, a, a fellow named John Fasano, who became a very good friend of mine, um, yes. saw the movie, and he 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 really liked my part in the movie. Now he was getting ready to film a movie called Zombie Nightmare, and uh, <clears throat> there was uh, one of the guys, the guys, the guy who was going to uh in fact he may have played a couple of scenes in there as as the zombie as as uh <clears throat> you know as um the, the lead character right uh with adam west and tia Quare was tia Quare's first movie and it was shot in montreal so uh um the, the guy wasn't getting along so well with with uh, the director jack brodman and all this kind of stuff so so john john uh Fasano, uh, hey John, you want to come up to Montreal and 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 play the zombie in uh, Zombie Nightmare? I said sure. You know, uh, you know, I'll, 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 Tony Washington was the character, right? He was the young kid who gets run down by a gang uh, of thugs, uh, uh, and 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 uh, he comes back uh, as a zombie to seek revenge. So anyhow, I star in that movie, and while I'm in, the, you know. In the movie, and you know, John and I become very good friends, and and we talked about, hey, uh, uh, you know, I had some ideas. I, I always had this idea about uh, Hercules kind of character being tossed, you know, you know how Hercules is, is a demigod. He's you know tossed out of the sky. He's got to do some great things, uh, labors on Earth. You know, heroic labors to. You know, and uh, and uh, Superman was sort of that kind of character. One of my very favorite heroes was Superman, and uh, of course, you know, he was uh, sent uh, from his parents uh, as uh, Krypton exploded and came to Earth. You know, and, and, and you see all the mythology; it's the same kind of idea, right? Yeah. You know, like Thor. Thor is the same sort of a demigod that um, you know comes to to earth right and 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 has to do uh great things he was cast out of Asgard, and uh so 
anyhow, I always wanted to do a movie like that that would incorporate that plus monsters. And, 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 and so John and I got together and I started writing the script, what was originally called The Archangel. Archangel became the edge of hell, which became Rockville Nightmare. So that's uh, that's kind of you know how those link together, and, and I don't know if that explains everything, but that's what John Triton is a sort of uh, you know superhero character who becomes Triton, <laughs> and then you put the rock and roll elements in there, and then there's your movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was was a lot of fun to me. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's a it's a total blast. So if you haven't seen Rock and Roll Nightmare, please get it. And the soundtrack is fucking so good. I I went Um, after I saw that. I went to I tried tried tracking down the soundtrack as soon as I possibly could. Yeah, yeah. uh, Oh no, go ahead, um, John. Yeah, I was just saying that uh, um, we we had a deal for a while where Rock and Roll the Rock and Roll Nightmare soundtrack was out. Uh, uh, with uh, one company, and and then um, it's uh, included in the only the strong. Some of the the cuts are included in only the strong. Um, a special deluxe package on Cleopatra Records uh, under the edge the name Edge of Hell, which is what was used. Edge of Hell is still retained by the by <clears throat> most of the rest of the world when we did deals country by country. You know, England called it Edge of Hell and. And uh, in North America's rock and roll nightmare, and Germany was called the face of hell. So, so um, uh, that's you know, that's basically the uh, you know the, the name Edge of Hell was 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 used then for the um, uh, the special edition, right? So, so if you get that only the strong, you're going to get some uh, music from uh, the rock and roll nightmare movie. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I think the music is pretty good in that, and you know, and and I think music is very important in a movie. I think if you got some great music, great themes, um, you know, it really enhances the movie. Uh, and any any great movie has great music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just take take John's other uh, John Fasano's other movie, Black Roses, of course, oh, yeah. which is a, another you know. I mean, that's another one of the best heavy metal horror films. So, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, he, he definitely with you t- together. And then, of course, with him on Black Roses, putting that soundtrack together, you know, stuff from Cinderella and all that. I think uh, he did a hell of a job incorporating music with horror, making two of the most iconic uh, heavy metal horror films out there. Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> um, well, you know, I. John and I were supposed to do uh, Black Roses together, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Zombie Nightmare. I did the, the I, I com- composed, you know, all the incidental music, and, and uh, really there was other bands in there like Nighthawk was really me, you know, uh, doing the music and, mm-hmm. and and so on and so forth. Um, I compiled all the different bands. Uh, in other words, I, I was totally in charge of all the soundtrack, you know, for zombie nightmare. And I, I, uh, you know, a lot of people really like that, uh, you know, the sound, the music on that as well. No, of course you got good. motorhead. It opens up with motorhead, ace of spades. What could be better than that? Of course. <laughs> what, what I love about your career, John is, um, kind of how you incorporated 
you know, all the things you loved as a kid with the, the superhero mythology and everything and even and then even doing your own spin on the Thor mythology and then wrapping it in wrapping it into your music, uh, into a character on stage, uh, and then incorporating the uh the the bodybuilding um like the uh blowing up the the hot water bottle and the <laughs> bending of the steel and the bricks and everything. I mean, I remember going to a strong man, going to strongman kind of, uh, you know, uh, performances and stuff like that. And I don't think I've ever seen them combined in a concert, you know, setting, which, uh, I, w- I would definitely love to see. Um, was that some, was that just an idea you had to just kind of break away from the pack of other, especially in the eighties of all the kind of more theatrical bands coming out, you know, kiss and things like that. Was yeah. that your oh. way to try to get your stamp on there or, yeah, well, it goes even before the 80s. Okay, right. You're right. talking about, you know, I, I started the Thor concept in, in 1973, and That's before right. that I was in various bands, right? So uh, in 1973, it was the glitter rock or glam rock mm-hmm. era. There was Ziggy Sardis and the Spiders from Mars, Alice Cooper, Kiss. You know, the bigger the show, the better. And uh, Alice Cooper was hanging himself. You know, <laughs> Gene Simmons was breathing fire. Uh, you know, uh, David Bowie was Ziggy Stardust, the, the mm-hmm. glam, uh, queen or, uh, king or whatever. You know, it was, <laughs> it was wild. You know, everybody was doing these wild shows. And, I, and so I wanted to be as Hercules as a superhero character. You know, um, so I was tired of playing bass in my band, you know, I, like the Cougars and, and Iron uh, Falcon. And I, I said, okay, you know, I want to, I want to step out front. I'm going to be like, you know, Ziggy Stardust and Alice Cooper. I'm going to like, you know, really uh, do something different, but be a, more of a Hercules guy. So he's got to do something on stage. So, so I, uh, Doug Heppern was at one time the world's strongest man. And, the, and uh, he was from Vancouver. He showed me how to bend steel in my teeth and he could bend spikes with his fingers and dimes and everything else. Uh, and, and then Chuck Sykes, Mr. Universe showed me how to blow up and explode hot water bottles. And then, uh, I, uh, also was able to, um, have a strong man, uh, a, a guy called Dick Calderwood who was a strong man. He showed me how to have bricks smashed in my chest with a sledgehammer and, and so on and so forth. So I incorporated all these uh, you know, you could say they're stunts, but the thing is, they were real. Mm-hmm. And I got hurt many times. It was like the evil Knievel of rock. I've bro- broken ribs, I've busted teeth. Uh, you know, I've been knocked out on stage with a hot water bottle because I used real, real items. Right? They were yeah. real things, real strength feats. I would. The hot water bottle was a double rimmed, lifetime guaranteed hot water bottle. So when I blew into it, it was difficult to explode. Sometimes yeah. it would get so big it would cover cover the dance floor like like a zeppelin and people would start running out of the club screaming because it got so big you know but i was that kind of guy that would never give up no matter how hard it was whatever and finally it exploded you know i'd be knocked unconscious sometimes uh and uh that's that's the you know i gave everything if i hurt myself so be it whatever it took to entertain the crowd to get the crowd ignited and excited. Uh-huh. I wanted to go over the top. I wanted people to just get blown away. That being said, many times the critics would would overlook my music when mm-hmm. I felt the music was really good. Um, it was like Van Gogh. You know, at the time, sometimes, you know, because I did all these 
different shapes and sizes of shows, you know, uh, the, the music uh, wasn't acknowledged or the art wasn't acknowledged. It is now in this modern age where, you know, you guys understand me more, maybe my music more, I, because I'm having, I mean, like on the last tour in November, when I did all these major cities uh, out on tour and I met these young fans who weren't around when I mm-hmm. put these songs out and, or when I wrote these songs and they knew all the songs and they were singing along and they, they said that we love your music. And that means a lot to me because I don't, I don't, I always saw myself as, as a songwriter, uh, a musician, an artist, you know, first and foremost, before a, a muscle man standing up on stage doing a show or whatever mm-hmm. some of the critics wanted to say I was. Right. You know, a guy, a superhero up there, uh, you know, flexing his muscles, you know, or, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. uh, you want to be seen as an artist for your art and that, you know, you, you can write songs and you've got a good melody that people can sing along with. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's and and that's the cool thing about that. The music, you know, will always, you know, live on with without the theatricality of it. You know, I mean, it's it's fun. It's fun that that this music is is appreciated. I remember I ran I I I was a server in Iowa and I waited on Quiet Riot one night. <laughs> it was really really random and and I was at the time doing a a radio show called Big Hair Mondays and I brought out my poster I showed them and they were kind of shocked that a guy my age, you know, was totally into them, you know, cuz they're, I don't know where they were going up to like Minneapolis or somewhere to play some, some show somewhere, but they were, you know, very appreciative that I guess a, a younger generation would be even remotely excited, you know, about meeting them and, 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 uh, very passionate about their music. So that's, that's really cool how music can transcend everything. Um, you know, yeah. even it, it can even transcend a stage so, show. Which uh, well, you know, like for example, are, are you guys into Beethoven? Oh yeah, or Mozart? Yeah. Or Mozart? I mean, um, it's it'll be interesting. Like two hundred years from now, what bands will be remembered <laughs> and how they will be remembered? Will the right. Beatles? I will think will be remembered. You know, will Led Zeppelin be remembered? You know, or Am and Amarth? You know, will they be remembered? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you never know. So you never know exactly what artists two hundred years from now will be remembered even more, you know, uh, you know, Weezer might be the, the big band of 200 years from now, uh, <laughs> and they were much bigger than the Beatles, you know, you just never know, right, uh, what's going to happen in the future. So music does transcend time and just, just in, in different ways. And I, th- and I think music that's written from a, a place from like a passionate, um, space you know i think transcends more than and that, and i and i think that's kind of could be what's going on too with the you know these your younger fans is you know your music uh and you on stage there i mean you're real you're you're up there performing it singing it you know um and and you're just you're just putting it all out there you know honestly you know which is i think goes a long way you know cuz there's a lot more um and there's just something about it, I guess, just more more tangible, you know. Yeah, well, you know, I'm. I like to I like to be um, accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I like uh, after the show, I'll go and, and meet the fans. You know, I meet I meet all everyone who's into my music, into what I'm doing. Yeah, you know, 
I don't just hide back there behind the stage or, you know, you got to pay this much money to come back and, and, and uh, have a pitch or whatever. I, I go out there, you know, and I, I meet everybody, you know, and, and uh, because I want to, you know, because it's a wonderful thing. That's, that's who I get energy from the fans, right? If you everybody's out there cheering and singing along with you, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, you're doing your show, I mean, it's, it's just an incredible high, you know, I don't need any drugs. That's my drug. You know, the, the, the high I get from the crowd and everybody singing along and, and the energy in the room, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's like, there's nothing that's comparable to that. It's a phenomenal feeling. You know, one thing that struck me with the documentary was after they go through and show your early years, um, and then you retire and then, and then there's footage of you and, and your, your nice quiet home and, and just, you know, the retired Thor. Um, and I thought that was a really wonderful moment for them to show because a lot of people just see, you know, the, especially seventies and eighties, the, the lifestyle, the craziness of it to go from that to kind of a quiet, um, quiet life, um, was now I know that there was something you needed at the time, but what went, when did the seed of, I got to get out there, when did that start kind of stirring again? Did it take some time or was did, did that never leave? I, I don't think it ever leaves, uh-huh. but the seed just keeps growing, you know, <laughs> you know, for, for example, you know, I'd be in the grocery store with my wife, and uh, she said, hey, "Go get some Kellogg's cornflakes." You know, my wife at the time. I mean, mm-hmm, right. And, uh, and but I'm writing a song. I, I can't help that. I've got, I got some ideas in my head, so I'm writing a song. And I, of course, I walk down the aisle past the Kellogg's cornflakes. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't care less about the Kellogg's cornflakes. Exactly. And so it would make her pissed off, and she'd say, "Be where you are. Be where you are. We're grocery shopping now." You know. Mm-hmm. And it just made me realize where I want to be is not in the grocery store. I want to like, you know, I want to like get in the studio and write the song. I mean, put the song, you know, write the finish the song and Mm -hmm. record it. And that's not where she wanted to be. Right. And it just went on from there. And she did not want to be back in the music business anymore. Mm -hmm. She had other ideas. She enjoyed the life with the nice house and, you know, the three cars and, you know, sort of what we were doing at the time with the, our other businesses. And I, you know, I wanted to, we also had the record company and I wanted to expound more on that, you make that expand, make it bigger. And, and, uh, I wanted to get out there and go on tour. Didn't like any of that. So, you know, that's kind of where the story went, right. Where I went to the West coast, you know, cause we split up and, and, uh, had to split the assets and and just uh, we went on with our lives, and and I'm glad I did. It was the best thing I ever did. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, like I said, I yeah. couldn't be every, any happier. I am, you know. But now, it, it, it struck a chord with me because you know, just because we all have to, I guess, make that decision. You know, I I was I wasn't you know performing in a band, but I was touring with a band, and and I wasn't making a lot of money at all. But it was. Uh, and you know, it, it was, it was every day was different. It was fun. It was it was like a drug. You know what I mean? You, you, I loved traveling the country, and when I met when I met my now wife, um, I realized I needed to focus on that relationship. So I quit doing quit going on the road. But I that, that's the one thing that I missed. I think the most was that touring, that being out there, the excitement of that. You know, and I think 
everyone had everyone and this is why the documentary i think strikes a nerve with a lot of people is like everyone has to make that decision at some point you know um am i gonna you know keep pursuing the dream am i gonna keep pursuing my interests or am i gonna just kind of settle for the nine to five whatever um you know and just and do this now you know and especially i think for creatives it's a lot uh it's a, it's a bigger deal, I think, than a lot of people think it should be. But for people who are creative and want to be out there amongst people creating, uh, you know, it's, it just, I think the documentary showed just kind of that drive, how that drive can kind of eat away at you until you actually, you know, uh, answer the call again and, <laughs> and get your ass out there yeah. and create stuff. Well, you're exactly right. And you're a creative person. Um, it's very difficult to have a nine to five job because, you know, you just, uh, your, your mind's going, uh, you, you know, a million uh, miles a, a second. It seems like, you know, there's times you just, you just, you don't want to be confined. You want to get up there and do things and create. And, and, uh, in my life, ever since I was a kid, I was, you know, whether I was a bodybuilder, a young bodybuilder on stage, you know, the, the applause of the audience and, 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 and just, uh, you know, uh, I was always used to like getting ready for a project. And then you do that project and you have a break for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nine to five regime to me was, it was like being in chains. So, you know, I just wanted to be unchained and, and, and be the kind of person I am. And I know it's not easy in a, in a creative, being a creative person, whether it's in the music industry or the film industry, they say 1% of the of musicians make, can make a living, proper living, uh, in, in the music industry and 1% of the actors in, in the film industry. And I know it's hard. It's really hard, but there's other in, industries too that are creative. For example, you know, it's on tour, a uh, girl who was a photographer and was crying after the movie. And she said, you know, uh, I was going to give up photography, you know, because of the criticism of my family and, and, and others, you know, to stop. It's, it's too hard of a business. She says, I'm not going to give it up. Whatever it takes me, I'm going to continue my dreams, right? Well, you know, you know, we're, we're, there's a lot of obstacles in life. And the thing is, don't give up. If you believe in yourself and you feel you can do it, I say, go do it, go pursue it. And, and, uh, that's what I did. I mean, I'm happy about what I did now. I'm not saying it was easy and I'm not saying don't, uh, I'm not saying, you know, do it, Till you almost kill yourself like I did. <laughs> I'm not saying go to that extreme, you know, but, but believe in yourself. And if you believe you've got the talent in you, you can do things uh, that you want to do in this industry um, in whatever capacity it is. Maybe you might have to combine another, you know, type, type of job with what you're doing. Um, there's different ways of going about it, but but believe in yourself and, and go and do it. And uh, it's a tough thing for creative people. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, with this, with this documentary, it's definitely a, a documented visual of never give up. And, um, you know, from, from, from even the break from the eighties and then going back to it at the nineties and then kept on going and going, I think that's, um, you know, a really important part, of the doc and it's also funny is that how they state the years and how many years you're into your comeback. And I think that really shows like, Hey, it's 10 years into the comeback, but fucking Thor is not giving up. 
you know, he can't figure out whether to put the skulls on first or the armor, but he's seriously not giving up. And I think that's truly inspirational for anybody of any job or any dream is that you're still chasing your dream. And I I think that is the story of success, not whether it's money Mm -hmm. or gold records or, you know, a number one movie. It's about doing what you love and succeeding in that. That's the story of success, not about the car you drive or the big house that you live in. Um, you know, I, I think meeting people as, as you do, as you know, like you said, those, those young kids, having young kids come up to you or anybody, uh, um, that, that, that would be, you know, c- kind of younger to, to, to that scene where, you know, you had this stuff in the eighties and the nineties for someone to come up and say, Hey man, your music really inspired me. I think that's the most successful story you can have is to have something of that nature. And so that's why I said that. Yeah. I I think the documentary definitely, uh, definitely proves that and will, will inspire people and and really show like, never give up. Like if you're going to fucking give up, look at Thor, you know, six years old, still fucking killing it on stage, still going out there, still putting out albums. You know, I I think that's a truly inspirational story. So the question I have for you guys, will you still interview me when I'm 94? Of course. (laughs) If we're still doing the show, yes, we'll be on like the third or fourth I am for sequel. So, oh yeah, no, it's it's like uh, you know, Beatles had that song when I'm 64. Well, Paul McCartney's long past that, right? He's still touring, right? He's doing like three hour shows. You know, I'm lucky to to pull off an hour show, right? But uh, uh, I'm just saying that you know, the rock and rollers, uh, you know, let me let me say, you know. Um, uh, you know, the tour, touring can can satisfy your dreams, but can also be your worst nightmare, right? So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's something where you know these days I have to kind of like like I'm doing these special select uh, North American shows coming mm-hmm. up, and then I'm doing that big show in New York, right? So I'm kind of like not uh, touring like I did, like even in 2005 and 2006, where 60 cities one day after another because right. you do have to space it out. So with that, I believe there's longevity. If I don't burn myself out over touring or overdoing it, I think I have longevity in this industry and I might make it to 94. And I know you guys will, you know, I know you guys sound like you're in your twenties. Uh, I'm, I'm in my late, late thirties, almost 40. Yeah. Okay. I'm, thir- well, I'm, I'm 31. You're, you're a young guy. You sound like young guys. Anyhow, to me, that's young, right? So yeah. <laughs> if you're in your uh, 40s, <laughs> then it's like being in your 20s, you know? Like, I, hey, I'm I'm in my 60s, but I, I feel I'm in my 40s at least. Yeah. Now, so, and, yeah, you know, it's so, really not about how old you are. It's about how you feel, you know? Yeah. That's pretty much Yeah, how you feel. How old are you really? Is, right. Is, uh, that's that's, that's, that's the, the whole crux of it, right? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I feel I can just keep uh, on going, you know? Yeah. Well, the plus this documentary is going to make some people feel like shit because they're going to be like, man, I gave up and fucking <laughs> Thor's, Thor's still killing it. And I get 60, like, what the fuck am I doing? You know? Well, I felt that way because I had a, an acoustic project that I, ban- <laughs> I abandoned like, uh, gosh, probably eight years ago. And, uh, and I'm getting ready to call that guy on the phone and be like, Brad, let's make some music. His name is Brad too. It's like, dude, we got to make some. We got to keep writing some music, man. But uh, who uh, who who does your uh, your album covers, um, especially on the on the newest ones? Because I, I the one thing I love about your albums uh, is the album covers because they're just so epic and it's 
And it's my, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Frank Frazetta art, you know, artwork and, you know, the Conan the Barbarian and stuff like that. Um, do you have different artists do, especially for the newest, newer albums, do the artwork or is there a go-to guy that you go to or who kind of controls that? Well, there's, you know, over the years I've, I've worked with, uh, all kinds of various artists. Uh, uh, one fantasy artist, I think he's phenomenal and he is compared with Frazetta is Mike Hoffman. Okay. And he did the Metal Avenger cover, but also on the insert, if you look at the insert, uh, Canadian uh, award-winning artist did the, ins- the inside sleeve of, of the album, and, uh, uh, the Golden Avenger look, uh, that, that was done by Barb Bowles. Um, also over in England, um, uh, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, Simon Williams, uh, he... He was, of course, he's worked with Marvel and many of the big mag, uh, comic magazines and graphic novels. And he did, uh, you know, some, some of the other, like Aristocrat of Victory and, you know, and like the cover for, uh, uh, Thunderstrike, uh, the German release. Um, so there's, um, you know, various artists I've worked with. Of course, you know, some of the pictures and some are, Great, uh, famous like Mark Weiss took the cover, the pitch, the photograph. He worked with Ozzy for years, and uh, he's very famous in his own right. And he took the cover of the uh, Unchained album, and uh, and then uh, yeah, so it goes on, and you know, like yeah. you know, uh, forty albums or so, I think altogether. You know, if you include uh, EPs and collectors yeah. editions and there's, there's been all kinds of great artists uh who've done the covers and photographers nice yeah that artwork i mean I, I just i love that you know kind of heightened fantasy uh artwork you don't see that enough and that's why i'm glad metal is still around <laughs> to kind of encourage that art because you know you don't you don't see that too often anymore and it's a, it's a shame for sure yeah i think actually metal is having a resurgence yeah again you know it's 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 nice to see uh, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's different genres of metal, that death metal, mm-hmm. you know, more the, what they call extreme metal, I guess, I guess yeah. now, uh, minus, I would call more power metal. I've always been a, more of a power metal fan. I, 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 I appreciate melody. So, you know, if there's, if there's melodies in there as far as the, the vocals and then especially, you know, the guitars, you know, I, I'll totally give it a shot, you know. So I was glad. always into doom. Yeah, you're into yeah, you're into doom metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, you know, I appreciate all of the uh, forms of metal. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's it really gets you going. Yeah, it's, dry, it's a driving force. You know, uh, there's some amazing bands out there right now. Yeah, and and one cool thing is that most of your because I was looking, uh, you know, a couple hours before the show, is that a lot of your uh, music is available. On uh, like on Amazon uh, CDs and MP3s, and you have a ton of your albums actually on Spotify, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And the Edge of Hell soundtrack, um, it, actually titled Edge of Hell, is on there. So yeah, we'll make- and that's 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 through uh, um, Deadline Cleopatra Records, you know, which I have a long term contract with, and then they're putting out a lot of stuff, including the I Am Thor soundtrack album yeah i was about to say on the 22nd they did that which i was really stoked that that was on there because a lot of the little songs that play throughout you know like uh that song when you're in the ticks 
you know, that plays. I've had the Body Rock song probably stuck in my fucking head <laughs> all day. And I was singing at work and people are like, what are you saying? And I was like, it's, it's a long story. It's a long story. Oh, so, you know, but um, kind of all like the really standout songs that, that play through uh, through the dock are actually on this uh, motion picture soundtrack, which is, you know, also linked to, um, you know, uh, the Spotify. You have to search a little. I think there's two Thors you have to find. And then, um, <laughs> you know, there's definitely a shit ton of albums, which I was uh, yeah. I was I was really happy about. Yeah, there's even, you know, classic hits like Shit the Pants, uh, <laughs> Fucking and Fighting, and of course, Crunch Crunch Yum Yum. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah, when that when that came up, I was totally unfamiliar with that side of Thor, so that was uh, very entertaining for me, because I totally missed that in my, um, you know, my, my, my Thor my Thor history. It's like so, Thor the, the, the Garage Punk years or something like that. Yeah, and the aspect. Yeah, well, there was, there was a, a period where uh, you know that, that was when I was going through my divorce, and uh-huh. um, like I kind of went in, and I thought I'd do something real crazy, or just <laughs> you know how I was feeling, right? You know, and I would write songs about our relationship, fucking and fighting, and right. and you know, and, and about the ways of the world, which I think if you listen to the lyrics of "Shit the Pants." That, uh, you know, it's very much like what's going on today. It, it could be a release from today. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's got, it's got lyrics in there about, you know, this crazy world we're living in. And, you know, it, it's not just, oh, let's do this for a lot of fun and, or whatever. This, there's actually a lot of thought went into the lyrics mm-hmm. and the music. So even though they have uh, wacky names and it's by a band called Thor and the Ass Boys. <laughs> but that's, that's another story there. But um, I'm glad all those were in there because they show different parts of the career and some weird times that I was going through in my life and, yeah. and, and how I expressed it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's a good, you know, it's, it's goofy in the sense, but I, I think it's very, um, I, I think it's needed to show, you know, uh, because the ups and downs of anybody. I mean, you have a documentary. I mean, there's tons of documentaries about people and just glorifies 100% of, you know, their success in their career. There's no ups and downs. And I think the downs is what connects us um, because it, it shows that you're a normal human being. Yeah. You know, oh, it's, it, it, you don't have yeah. that, you know, godlike status, no pun intended. <laughs> but you know, you know, you you have that. You're just a, a normal person that's doing what they love, and I think that's important to uh, for people like you know sitting at home watching a documentary to attach themselves. So this could appeal to right. anybody, whether you like the music or not. If you go into mm-hmm. blind, not even knowing who you are, you can come out and actually know that person. I think that's important. I think that's uh, you know crucial when making a documentary because I mean, shit, man, I've seen hundreds of documentaries and sometimes you just can't connect because there's nothing to connect with. Um, yeah. Well, I, I want people to have fun in this documentary, whether you, you laugh or you, uh, you, you cry or, or you cheer or you, or you hurl, you know, like you're, you know <laughs> the hammer that is, I mean, uh, exactly. or, you know, puke or whatever the, you know, but the thing is I was in Sweden at, you know, when they were doing the Sweden premiere, Swedish premiere, I should say. Uh, and there's a fellow next to me, and, and he was just laughing and laughing, and he kept going, sorry, sorry, <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry. <laughs> and, and, and I said, hey, don't be sorry, man. 
if you laugh and you're having a good time, just let it go. You know, you're not, you're not um, insulting me. You know, I want you to laugh. You know, it's a movie. There's some funny parts in there. And I think there's a lot of funny parts that make people laugh in the movie. Oh, totally, You know, and and just have fun with this movie. You know, it's supposed to be entertaining. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, know, there's just things that happen in life. And and, uh, if they're funny moments, that's great. Yeah. I I love the uh the scene when your uh your your bandmates that you reunited after so many years were going out at the beginning of the festival in front of the gate just trying to say hi to people and <laughs> he was hoping he would get a better reaction. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting well, that was more, it too. <laughs> oh, that was man. more Mike Mike Favata. I I, yeah. I kind of I I always meet my fans, but I don't I don't tell them, I don't sort of demand them to to love me, you know, that's, you know, Mike Nevada and Steve Price, those guys always went out to the crowd kind of, you know, always expect admiration and stuff like that. You know, I don't always expect the admiration, if, you know, yeah. but I do like meeting the fans more more. I like being my fans, um, you, you know, maybe after the show, not before the show, you know, I like them to see the show and then meet everybody. Yeah. That shows a humility, I think, that people respond to, you know, more than more than anything else. You know, um, the 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 bands that I worked for, they would always do that too. Most of the guys, and then once uh, the singer would stop doing that, he would also people would you you can tell the fans would be, you know, not off put, but just kind of disappointed, you know. And um, so I think it's very important the kind of the FaceTime with the fans is, is great. And, uh, I mean, do you find, do you stay for like hours after the show's done? I mean, I've heard of people doing that. I mean, what's, um, yeah, try- I, I pretty much, you know, uh, there, there are, you know, lines of people and, yeah. and I stayed till everyone, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was a couple hours after the show. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'd be tired because I'd have to, um, catch a very early flight right. you got to be two right. hours ahead at the uh, you know for security <laughs> at the, you know and all that kind of stuff but it, it doesn't matter to me i want to meet everybody you know and so I, and that's they're there to, to see a show and meet for but i i always felt there was a certain amount of mystique you should have mm-hmm. and, and 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 just meet everybody after the show mm-hmm. instead of before the show so they can see what you did and you have a good time with everybody and then you talk to yeah. everybody that's fantastic. Are are you uh, so you got you got do you have some shows coming up? Are you itching to get back in the studio again? I know it's it's funny with with creative types. It's uh, once the project's done, you're already planning the next one. Do you have the are are you trying to plan some studio time or what's going on? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm already doing demos. You know, okay. uh, especially for the show we're doing in New York. I mean, introduce some like new songs. Okay. Uh, it's going to be a very special show. It's it's uh, you know the the Highland Ballroom, they call it. And as I said, big artists like McCartney can't get any bigger and Springsteen have played there <clears throat> and 50 Cent and, you know, all kinds of different bands and in New York City, May 14th. And it's, uh, you know, it's something where we're going to do, um, like keep the dogs away in its entirety. And then there's going to be uh, incredible strength feats. But the way we're going to do them is, is going to be very unique. You know, you'll have to see it. Awesome. to believe it kind of thing. And, uh, uh, and then there's going to be a part two where there's going to be, you know, all this theatrics that go on. And I think it's going to be something really different that no one's, uh, you know, uh, the theme is we'll show you sites 
you've never seen before. Nice. So we'll see what happens. I think that I really believe people are going to be entertained by this new dimension and rock entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) And you said you are working on some scripts. So that means that you're still wanting to come back to the film industry, I imagine, or how is that? Oh yeah. uh, Yeah. How's it going to play out for you? I would say, you know, I'm in the film industry. You know, it, uh, I never really left it so much. I mean, overall, I've, I've got, I think I've got about, uh, you know, I mean, what, uh, 12 movies I've done, you know, so, so I've been in the film industry and still am with the, I am Thor and, but I'm going to come back as a, as a writer again. And I've got su- some, uh, new, new kind of unique, uh, films, horror type films I've got to do. And, and also, uh, we'll be back in the studio recording another album, you know, touring and, and writing, I'm writing that book. So nice. I got plenty, a plethora of <laughs> <laughs> of uh, things coming out of the, the horn of plenty. Nice. You just got to make sure you take care of your teeth, though, because I was concerned during the documentary when uh, it, se- it seemed like you're spitting out teeth at one point. <laughs> well, I, I, I was, uh, as I was saying, uh, yeah, I got to keep those under uh, under check, you know, with the dentist <laughs> and also, you know, the, the lungs and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Do you, do you um, get uh, disapproving you looks from your from your dentist when you come back from a, a, a couple shows? Well, <laughs> he doesn't really know what's going on there. You know, he's kind of confused. He says, "What are you doing?" And they look at me, and you know, when I came back from the last tour, there they said, "Hey, you got to stop that party." And they don't. <laughs> I don't really, you know, tell them so much what I'm at because right. they won't believe me. Right? <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> funny oh man so yeah i'm i'm just i'm really stoked for people to see this and obviously you've you said you've already gotten offers you're you know setting up shows so i i think uh i think for one i think this documentary is um like you said it's a catalyst and very important to even the future career and past career um for you so uh you know, yeah, and plus, no, it, plus it's available everywhere. You know, it's it's you know if anybody wants to watch it, it's streaming on you know Vudu. You can buy it, you can rent it. The physical copies out on DVD, v, um, I almost said VHS, Blu-ray. So yeah, VHS that, that'd be a good marketing strategy. To come back with VHS, <laughs> like back with like Rock and Roll Nightmare and uh, Zombie Nightmare and Recruits. They're all in VHS, and yeah. uh, but but I think. You know, these, these things are great. What we're going to be setting up to are, uh, on this Canadian uh, release of it, besides playing some shows like in Victoria and Kelowna and Vancouver, um, there's going to be some private, like, parties, you know, and everybody's going to have sort of a fun time, you know, watching the movie. And, and the thing is to have, you know, like I said, have a good time in this movie with you and look at it and you know, laugh and and your cheer or whatever. I, I think it'll be an emotional roller coaster ride. You know, it was for me. And I, when I, a year ago, we actually had a world premiere of this film at the Slam Dance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. I tell you, I actually burst out crying, mm-hmm. you know, I, first time I saw the movie. I think everybody was crying. Ryan Wise, Al Higby, Steve Price, you know, we're all kind of crying. I don't know why, you know, <laughs> but you know, when you see it for the first time, you kind of, you know, saying, you know, 
you kind of look at it, it's like, it's not even, I, I saw it, I didn't see it as me. I saw this, this guy, I said, oh man, that poor fellow, like, <laughs> look what he's going through. Uh, wait a minute, that's me, you know? You know, it's kind of, uh, almost felt sorry for that guy. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, maybe that, maybe that's what it is. You know, young, young kids, they, they see it, that could be their dad, you know, or their grandfather going through all this pain and punishment, you know, trying to make it in the industry. And that's why people kind of relate to it, you know, and feel, feel sorry for this guy. And, but Hey, no, you know, there's a lot of, I think, I think it's sort of almost a combination of Rocky and the wrestler and spinal tap. I think yeah. you've got those elements in there, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, there's and definitely some part of life. And, that's, and the thing is, it's real though. It's yeah. just, it's life. It's something that happened. And sometimes I don't believe it happened. Um, but you know, it, it did happen. Yeah. You know, well, we, we know you have a lot more in you, so we're, um, we're excited to, you know, keep, uh, keep following you and, and, and what you, what you do and, and, uh, through movies, film, you know, or music for sure. And, and everything, uh, <laughs> everything. Yeah. Yeah. I need to, Thanks, I, if you make it out to L the LA area, I need to keep an eye out for that. So I will, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we had a great time at the whiskey when we played down there yeah. and I, we had some great, uh, great people down there. And next time I come to LA, definitely, uh, you know, want to, want to catch up uh, with you. Yeah. Uh, I know Mo- Monster Palooza wanted me to come down. Okay. Uh, I'll see if that's possible. But if I, I come down in April for Monster Palooza, then we could have lunch or whatever. There you go. Do you, um, Brad, what's the festival that's near you? The, not festival, the convention that's near you. Oh, Spooky Empire. Spooky Empire. Yeah, that would be, cool. um, you know, because that's you know. Do you do many horror conventions? Because it seems like you know. With, with I mean, obviously the music is a big part, but I mean, metal and horror go hand in hand with with the oh, community. Sure. And uh, I, I think I that's yeah. I saw that you do Monster Palooza, but have you done anything else? Like uh, yeah, you know, as, I was down at the Phil Anselmo's uh, 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 convention or the festival, right? It was a convention plus. Uh, oh, you're talking festival. about um, the one in Austin. Texas, it was. Yeah, was yeah, house core, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah house yeah. core, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it was that, in San Antonio, Texas. But, but I have been uh, to numerous, I've been, you know, down at Comic Con in San Diego. Um, I've been uh, to, uh, well, you know, uh, not long ago in Monster Palooza. And, and again, Monster Palooza wants me to want me to come back down. And, you know, I've had, you know, my, my different comics I promote or, or, or whatever, whatever project it is. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm looking at all kinds of things this year and just, uh, I'll, I'll be doing a lot of, a lot of traveling, you know, uh, you know, whether it's concerts or uh, rock odysseys or, <laughs> or, uh, comic books, you know, <laughs> uh, movies, you know, yeah. record. I'm, I'm hitting it all, man. Wow. You know, you guys inspire yeah. me. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, You're wearing me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I need to. I need to pick it up, man. I'm not doing shit right now. Yeah, you guys. Uh, you, you guys are getting tired. I hope I didn't bore you too much. <laughs> uh, uh, John, we re- really thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, like I said, we're we're huge fans, and we really hope that the documentary. We know that it's doing it's doing uh, wonders for your. Uh, for yeah, the feedback already on yeah, it has been, been really really good. So yeah, so well, uh, thank you very much, guys. You know. I do appreciate you having me on the show and uh, I appreciate all your support over the years and I hope we can meet up uh, sometime in the near future. 
right, we are we are back with BJ and Brad and myself. That was that was quite the experience. Dude, I had a blast talking to, to John. I did Michael such Ford. a good job on that interview, guys. <laughs> was so good. You did fantastic. Uh, um, uh, I asked all the hard hitting questions. <laughs> I know. No, he's 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 a good guy, and you know, it's definitely a, a truly inspiring person because it's literally one of those stories of like he really fucking never gave. He still today has not given up. Oh yeah, it makes like, me like look at my know, life and go, "What the hell have I done with my life?" Well, you got to look at it, man. It's like you know, he's. I mean, he, he, he did well on his albums in the seventies. You know, they went platinum stuff like that. But I mean, that's nineteen seventy seven, and you know, not having like any major hits or having you know exposure as these other you know some of these fucking like Nickelback's popular. Like, what the fuck is happening there? You know, you have to be alongside Nickelback getting fame, and then you're working your ass off playing shows when you're fucking, you know, 40, 50 years old. And, you know, you're not making that money or, you know, bringing in bank or having the number one record. He just does it because he loves it. And I think that's, like, truly ambitious. Because, you know, a lot of these people are like, oh, didn't work. Let's go on to, you know, plan B. Because I didn't make any money from it. No, he just truly loves the art and, you know, loves being a musician and an artist. And, I mean, he's he's everything, too. I mean, he's done so much shit. So. Yeah. Yep, good guy. So um, his new album kicks uh, kicks some ass as well. I was listening to that at work the other day. All the Metal Avenger, right? Yeah. He collaborated with a lot of people like Henry Rollins and, uh, you know, Fast Eddie from uh, Fast Way Motorhead. So yeah, he's um, you know, he, he definitely pulled in a lot of, you know, probably people that inspired him yeah. through, through the years yeah. to, to work with him on that album. It's awesome. I think that album I think most of his albums are on uh are on Spotify and iTunes yep. music, so so check them out for sure. Or buy them. Maybe buy them, everyone. Spend some money yeah. on yeah. stuff you like. All right. Today, uh yeah, let's uh let's jump right in here. We got uh Stream Screams and VHS Oh my god to talk about here. So let's jump into Stream Screams. Nate, wake up! There's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't fucking scream at me! You scream, I'll break your neck. <laughs> Don't scream, miss. Don't scream. Today... What was that, BJ? Was though was that your heavy 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 metal horror yell? No, that's my <laughs> stream you... screams yell. Wow, are you, is the uh... meds the meds kicking in? You're getting sleepy. Maybe. <clears throat> All right, here we go. No, I'm actually fine. It's cool. just I have to be quiet because Zachary is sleeping. Oh fuck him! He has to be at work at like <laughs> five a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of move out of this mess den, yo. <laughs> Gotta make that dollars. We all know he listens to the show because he uh, he scolded us for for talking about stuff that uh, he BJ scolded me via him. the podcast because I watch a lot of stuff without him. <laughs> <laughs> and every time he'll come home and he'll be like, "Listen to Screamcast." When did you watch that? <laughs> be like, you were asleep. <laughs> Can't be sleeping Sorry. like a bitch, Zach. You gotta wake yourself up, yo. Yeah, you gotta stay awake. I don't know what so that was. I'm sorry. That was my douchebag bro 
I must be. You, you do it every show, Sean. So You've been hanging out apologize. with too many CrossFitters. Uh, you stop it. I'm making They're fun of them. I'm making fun of them. I see. I see these guys at the gym, and they are hilarious because they kind of walk by, and they kind of have that like "I'm awesome" sneer as they kind of walk by with their tank tops, and uh, as I'm like stumbling <laughs> with my workout, you know, and they're all. Uh, these guys annoy me. All right. Anyway, douchebag bros. So we are going to talk. Go work your triceps, motherfucker. He- oh, my God. Heavy metal whore. <laughs> maximum overdrive. Hi. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories. And I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Everybody pretty much knows what Maximum Overdrive is. It's a pretty well-known movie. Um, it's based off a uh, short story of Stephen King's called Trucks. They made it to a movie, um, TV, um, made for TV movie um, in the 90s, I think. Um, but this is uh, Stephen King's directorial debut and his only film he has ever directed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you are correct. And one of the weirdest original theatrical theatrical posters I've ever seen in my life. Is that the one with the person like stuck in the grill that's of the Stephen truck? King. No, 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 no. Oh, that's the, the foreign that, poster. Sorry. The original poster is Stephen King like popping out of like a truck being ripped apart. Oh, but yeah. But he has the marionette thing and he's like controlling the trucks and Emilio Estevez and his, you know, love interest are in the middle. Right, they well, they marketed the shit out of Stephen King, you know, right. for this and, movie. He yeah, had the original was, trailer. And he's in the ridiculous. trailer, and he's like, "I'm going to scare the hell out of you," <laughs> while the music from Halloween Three is playing in the background. <laughs> How like, we got to uh, put that trailer. Was Stephen King? That's what doing. he says. What? If knows, How much coke was everyone in the '80s doing? You yeah, know, but this is this is when like Stephen King was at his like. I did so much blow, I don't remember writing Cujo phase. Like, he was gone. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think that really translates into the film because it's not that it's, – cr- It's fucking nuts, Brad. It, it, it's it nuts. is. It who is. Who hires ACDC to play the psycho shrill? Like, who does that? I think I think the, I think the music is actually what amplifies the movie a little bit. Oh, it's so great! Oh, yeah. But every time I hear ACDC playing the psycho riff on <laughs> guitars and just going cha 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 cha, I lose my goddamn mind because it's so fucking ridiculous. No, no, I mean it's it's it, it is one of those things where you would really like to see the film if 
it wasn't like if they were super serious because even the things like in the film when whenever um Emilio Estevez goes to question one of the you know the the gas pump guys of the Dixie boy and he's like on the toilet you can literally hear him fart and shit and it hitting the toilet (laughs) during that sequence and it's like no filmmaker would think that was a good idea like you keep that silent no one would ever cast Yuri <laughs> Smith to scream anything. Oh my god! And the thing <laughs> is, oh is, god, is like, what was his direction towards her? Like, I hey, I know. need you to be overly annoying and just scream. Like, there's so much screaming. Like, is that the yes. uh, which which actress was that? That's Curtis. You're Lee Smith. She's the she's Lisa wife of Curtis. Yeah. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like, Yearly Smith's voice is very distinct only because we've known her for so long as Lisa Simpson, but uh-huh. I don't find it naturally annoying by any means. But in that movie, no, it, oh, it, God, yeah, just hit her with really the Green Goblin, man. Get her. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's such a weird, like, surrounding uh, story you know, w- with the film is, you know, even Stephen King admits it's terrible. Um, you know, even a few of the actors totally disregard the film and they don't like to talk about it. Um, so it makes you really wonder, like, what was really pushing for this film to get made? And did anybody visit the set? Like, if I was a producer giving K- Stephen King millions of dollars and I'm talking to him on the phone and I know that he's on drugs, I'd at least come to the, you know – set and slap his hand and say no yeah i don't know no. it, it sounds like he kind of was left to his own devices there's a great article on slashfilm.com. have you guys read this no it's called mm-hmm. uh maximum how did this get made maximum maximum overdrive and oral histories by blake harris uh september of last year it was posted and um it's it's i don't know i think she Blake, is it Blake? He or she? Damn it! I think oh it's a guy. God. Guy, Blake. Let me look at his Twitter. Can you like do this before the show? No, I cannot. <laughs> Take notes, man. Come uh, prepared. Blake Harris, he's the author one. of Console Wars. So anyway, he, there you he, go. So, guy. Um, apologies, Blake, if you're listening to this. But um, looks like there's. It's just. It's like an interview with the, all the everyone involved. So we got uh, Roberto Croce was a translator. So they interviewed Joe D'Alessandro, Sylvia Gudeletti, Chip Hackler, Lauren Harriton, and Martha De Laurentiis. Um, and so they all are telling the story of how this got how this got made. And it's just you know they they trusted Stephen King. They knew you know. Um, they liked the story and they kind of, I think they just kind of trusted him that he would do it. And, and, um, just cause they tr- just, they just trusted him just cause he was a great author. Cause there's a, there's a quote here from Martha De Laurentiis that says, well, Stephen was a master. He was the best. So it was like, so Dino De Laurentiis hired him as the director. So it's a really, it's a, it's a pretty long read. It's about four pages long, but, um, in it, they go into in depth on how, um, how the, the DP Armando uh, Nan- Nanuzi. Yeah, that's the uh, guy that like lost his eyesight. Right. Or something, there's the right? lawnmower scene. In the lawnmower scene, it kicked up some debris, and it launched directly into his eye, 
and pretty much ruined the man's career. Like he was out for three, three or four Ugh. weeks. He came back to try to finish the film, and then after that, he wouldn't get hired on to anything else. And he was a, I guess, a pretty promising uh, director of photography. So it's like I, mean, I, I wonder how. I'm trying to find the section where, where when it happened, but I think it was they were they were trying so many stunts on this that were not safe, and Stephen King was kind of just letting them do stuff. I don't know if they had a stunt coordinator or if he was just kind of letting people go, but they they said that there there were so many things happening on set that were would never ever happen today, or never should have been happening. There was pretty much well, I mean, I think pretty much all. Uh, films, probably you know, songs it, up it, the seventies and eighties. Yeah, I think all the seventies and eighties stuff. They <laughs> did take risks because you know, fucking like Kurt Russell, fucking you know, um, says in, um, um, you know, Stuntman Mike says in Death Proof, he's like, there is real dumb people driving those cars, but it's mm-hmm. true. I mean, they they were they were taking risks. It's not CG or you know a bunch of wires and you know in a studio with cranes hoisting you up to get you out of the wreckage or the turning car. No, they're driving the car off you know a ramp and slamming it into something and then crawling out the very very last second. The only reason this is publicized probably so much um, or, or spoken about is because people actually did get hurt. Yeah. You know, I, I, in you know, some instances people are killed, but you know, that's, that was just, you know, it's an accident. I don't think it's anything to do with Stephen King and maybe being coked out. I think it gets blamed for that because the movie's so crazy and, you know, Stephen King's history with the movie. But I honestly think that all films uh, from, I would say, you know, even the early nineties, uh, more low budget films, of course, would do stunts themselves. And a lot of people did get hurt. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. it also has to do with the fact that, you know, he was hired because he was a good writer. And just because you're a good writer, that doesn't necessarily translate into being a good director. That's two very different worlds and it's two very different personalities that you, you know, that you really need to have. And it's not to say that you can't do both, but just because you're good at one doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at at another. And yeah. I mean, I'm glad they took the risk on it because I personally own Maximum Overdrive on, I believe, every format that it's available. Oh, it's one of those I've always I, I love it. It's <laughs> yeah. so fucking fun. Yeah, it's the same thing um, here. And but, you know, it, 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 it's craziness is what makes it so endearing is because you watch it and you do have that question of how the fuck did this get made? Because it would never be made today, ever. Yeah, I mean, one people would, you know, visit the set and, and, and pull pull the plug or, you know, hire somebody else to do it or even do reshoots. Or it but would turn into the Fast and Furious and it wouldn't be fun <laughs> and crazy. It would be like, we need these sports cars versus these trucks. Like, that's, that's dumb. a really good idea. Yeah. Maybe Asylum should do that. My, I just, I <sighs> oh, think. No. I mean, call it minim, minimum overdrive. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> the, the whole plot setup is, is just hilarious how this comet is passing by is like all of a sudden all the machines but not every single machine only certain machines seem to come to life and want to kill people um but the opening the opening to the film with the bridge i think has to be probably my favorite moment of the movie because i think that's the most bad shit the film gets because 
these cars are barely, you know, barely sliding down as the bridge is going up. But this one lady hits the hits the windshield. So like just pops straight out of the windshield. It's hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing. A lot lot of watermelons, too. Tons of watermelons. Just just the chaos on that bridge uh, is great. What gets me about the bridge, too, is that if you watch, I think it's it's the final destination, the most recent one, Uh that's like the big opening kill is the bridge giving out, and it's all... CGI and like while the circumstances are a lot more extreme, like a girl falls through the bridge and like gets impaled on like a passing <laughs> sailboat, like it's something yeah, totally that, nuts. That's, that's the fourth one that is by far yeah. one of the worst things yeah. ever made. Yeah, the fourth it's, one's horrible. Okay, so it's the fourth one. That's what it is. It's they, like it's yeah. totally nuts and ridiculous. But I just remember that when I saw that in theaters, I was like, oh, my God, it's the opening of Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> the opening of Maximum Overdrive is way scarier because they really just fucking dropped cars off of a bridge. <laughs> yeah, man, I would have I, I I know some of that was miniatures and, and some of it wasn't. But right. Man, but, man, but there is yeah, there's definitely there is real cars being dropped for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, Stephen King with his with his. Uh, with his little appearance his as the guy with ATM, you know. What <laughs> machine called you. me an asshole. Come over here, sugar puss. <laughs> Is it, does he say sugar puss? <laughs> I, I, he says something. He I, says I wrote, something I wrote sugar buns, but I was laughing so hard I think it probably got sugar, around. Sugar buns. No, I mean, yeah. it, it could be. This it's... machine here called me an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a, a really funny thing, though, if... if the trailer, I think, is what sets the tone and mood for this movie because, number one, of, like, Stephen King talking through the most thing. But he – I believe – I don't know if it's just verbatim, but I believe he says, if you want to do it right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, he does. Dude, <laughs> what the fuck was that statement? The thing that's like, hilarious is – It's uh, I hate the shining. The shining. I'm yeah. going to make maximum overdrive. <laughs> the thing that's hilarious is that trailer was done after the movie was – was finished. So I I feel like he knew what a piece of shit it was. Or maybe the marketing was was like, we need to blame all of this on you. (laughs) Like trying to like really, really sell it. Like, man, I tell ya. It yeah, it did it didn't work, man. This film bombed when it came out pretty hardcore. It's it was pretty uh No, it's a it was a box office flop for sure. Yeah. It probably you know at the time I I mean, did it have did it have a wide release? Is that um, I think it did. I, I want to say it did. I but I don't think this really caught on until VHS. Because I think this one, like most of these no, movies, it's, that's it's when, one of those. This is the definition of a cult movie that yeah. it lasts oh, this yeah. long because of you know it being you know loved by so many people that just find it funny and you know that have a really good time because i mean that's all this movie is yeah. it's, it's it's about the goddamn soda machine like how do you watch that and not think yep this is the most fun i've had in a long time oh man i wish i i do know i did read about um how they did the steamroller there was a there was oh, a sequence man, there was a sequence where like it's supposed to run over the kid and you're supposed to see the head explode <laughs> But yeah. they, they called it too violent, so they had to pull it. Like, dude. Uh, that's still pretty gnarly, man. I mean, this is like, you know, kids die in this film, you know? Yeah. The Stephen yeah. King don't Pancake give a fuck. Down. No, not at all. All right, so it, it played um, 
at basically 1,200 theaters, and that was in 1986. Okay. Is that good or bad? um, Well, I mean – What kind of release is that at that time? That's a wide release, 1,200 theaters in in that. I mean – I mean, right now, I think 4,000 is considered like a wide, wide release. But I mean, a wide release could be up like, you know, between two and, you know, I think it's like 24, 2,500. I want to say, I'm, I'm kind of pulling that number out of my ass. But I mean, it's 1,200 theaters. I mean, I imagine the first week that probably dropped down to like, you know, two. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> but you know it's it's still it's still really crazy that it opened that wide and uh but i mean all in all i mean how big was emilio estevez in 1986 i mean it was no. it wasn't really a household name no. really was he i mean he had some notoriety but i mean this is like his you is know men at men at work repo men days well he didn't, he yeah, didn't say, is breakfast pre- club the year before that's what I was say. Is this pre or post Breakfast Club? Because that was kind of the the game changer for Estevez. I think it's. Post, I guess so. Yeah, but I'm not no, sure. No, it would like, definitely be after Breakfast Club. Yeah, it's after Breakfast. So then, Club. yeah, he's he's carrying some some so clout at it's, this point. It's then. after it's after Repo Men and yeah. San Almost Fire. So he was. Yeah. Probably a pretty so good draw then. At this point. Yeah. So yeah, then this probably killed his career. No, then, <laughs> then he got Young Guns, and he he was fine after that. Uh, know if young guns like that's that's another movie that's that's uh i mean it it was successful but you know it died quickly after its release and then but then he got mighty ducks and he was fine young guns too young guns is awesome can we just talk about judgment night because that's his that's his real role yeah that's a bro movie okay jeremy piven milieu estevez cuba gooding jr against fucking dennis leary Heck in yeah. the streets? Yeah. Motherfucker, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I mean, I, I think, I, you know, it, it's whatever. I mean, he, he chose the role, but I think it, it obviously helped him in the long run because it gives him more of a, you know, a cult status. And, I think he's fine you know, in it, man. I think he, he yeah. does what he does in it and, and he's great. Um, the, the actor, who's the actress that stars with him in that? Uh, the, the, uh, the love interest, the love interest. Laura Harrington. Laura Harrington. Yes. Uh, apparently, when she was hired on, like she came on wearing like those jeans or whatever. Um, halfway through, I think it's halfway through, or, or the I think Dino De, De Laurentiis came and said, "Why is she wearing jeans?" And he put her in a. He had her to kind of dress more sexy uh, for the film. So that's why she she has a, uh, a little wardrobe change through the movie. Hmm. She that's was, because she doesn't like that stank all over. Well, I mean, I it, I it was like obviously. You, <laughs> know, obviously you, you listen like that one sequence, her accent like hits really hardcore. <laughs> like she sounds like, you know, a little Texan Texan girl for there for a second. Uh-huh. She's like, I hate that smell. It smells all over me. <laughs> and then like it's just back to normal. Like, ugh. I love her introduction with the uh, the sleazy preacher. The sleazy oh, no, traveling it's, uh, But that's like the Stephen King character. Oh, totally, like, Steve, total Stephen hey there, King sugar character. Bun? Yeah, totally. Let he me, loves those crooked preachers. What you gonna do? What you gonna do for me now? <laughs> he makes <laughs> me think of the uncle in um, Dead Alive. What the hell's <laughs> his name? 
the creepy uncle with yeah, the yeah, bad hair. Yeah, yeah, that's that's who I, I can't remember his name, but that's who who I think of every time I listen. I'm like, ugh, you're gross. Go away. Ugh. Yeah, and that's the thing about the, the film that I really do enjoy is that it the film does make you a little bit tired because everybody is fucking sweating profusely throughout the <laughs> oh, movie. Oh, God, they're so disgusting. Like, like, when I watch the movie, I feel like I got to turn the air down to, like, 60 degrees to actually enjoy the film because I just start <laughs> sweating instantly because it just, like, everybody's so, like, everybody has their windows down, so there's no air conditioning that's working in any car. Every every car has its windows well, this down. This takes place in, uh, is it North Carolina? Wilmington, right? <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and then and then the Green South. Goblin. So it's humid as hell. Yeah, heck yeah. yeah. And the Green Goblin guy gets out of the truck. You know, he's like, "All right, you fill it up. I'm gonna get some coffee." I was like, "Bitch, you need to get an iced tea." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were fucking sweating. He's like wiping his face. Who the fuck says they need fucking hot Ugh. coffee? And that and, and they're sweating their ass off. No, dude, sit down, have a soda, get a burger, yeah, cool it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta cool down. I don't know. You know, and it's it's just one thing like it, it, in like even Curtis, like throughout the film, is just fucking sweating like so much. And like, he has that weird like prepubescent stash going on. So the sweat oh, keeps God. gathering on the stash <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's so distracting. And and another another thing that really like trips me out in, in the movie. And it's just one of these like little things. It's like something I can't stand, but it's just so small is that when they very first discover at the, you know, kind of the gas station that the trucks are taking over and the car in the truck blasts through the doors and then slams into the building, he like stands behind the truck for a second and like licks his lips like he's going to play chicken with the truck. Oh, yeah. And it's like, dude, get in the fucking car, Curtis. Like, what are you doing? Get like, in the what, car. He's yeah. trying to be a hero. Oh, he is the hero, though. He actually, you know, but that's one of those things that if you had, you know, somebody that kind of, and I'm not going to say knew what they were doing because I don't want to put down Stephen King that much. But if you had somebody to know what he was doing, that would be your, you know, your turnaround character that is kind of a wimp that takes charge. You know, he goes in the sewer with Estevez. He kind of yeah. like saves the day here and there, you know, but it's just it's still it's still Curtis by the end of the movie, you yep. know, Dor dorky looking Curtis that for some reason is really happy that he is married to 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 the whiniest woman I've ever heard in oh, any God. movie. Oh man. That's, <laughs> like in in the part in another part that makes me sweat because I just get uh, like anxiety <laughs> is when the car gets hit like fishtailed and then flips and then they run to go get them and they pull out the knife and she just says 20 goddamn lines in like th three seconds. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, what are they doing with that? They're going to cut me. Oh, help me, Curtis. Oh, help God. me. Oh, you can take yeah. that thing away from me. Where's my Curtis? Save me, Curtis. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, Stephen King should have been like, you know, you're going to say one line and then you're going to shut the fuck up. But you instead, know? we have a writer oh. who said, you're going to read every piece of dialogue yeah, I give you. This. God, I, I like to know what it was like you know, recording ADR with her in a room <laughs> oh, saying that line over and over and over. Cause obviously that's how they did it. Oh yeah. But it's like, maybe, maybe they just spliced it all together. Maybe they just took outtakes <laughs> <laughs> and they just put it all together as a joke. The part yep, he thing. just had her, he just had her improv it and said, say whatever you want. And then just made one, you know, giant but that's line. the thing you gotta, you gotta think about, you know, normal production for a movie like this. 
you know, was, you know, maybe let's just say three weeks, four weeks, four weeks top to, to, to film, film this movie. It might have been longer. But, you know, you got to think of writing the script, directing, going to the editing bay. One of those days, Stephen King's not, you know, maybe is not fucking super high or like coked out. And he just watches it and is like, what the fuck? What did I do? <laughs> you know, he didn't think about like at all, like during, you know, post pre production of anything or you what know, if when he, he did notice. And this genuinely is the best that could have <laughs> made totally. I think this is the best it put, could they possibly be. They spent years trying to fucking edit the best movie possible. <laughs> oh, no, why, I no, What I want to know is why didn't they just let all the trucks run out of gas? Why did they fill Well, because up? they're going to shoot. They're, they're, because it plays Morse code with the yeah. army truck, and then he realizes what it's saying. Well, yeah, but and, I mean... okay, Right, but they were going to slam into the building with the remaining gas. Whatever. No, that's a legit. Like that's the only thing that that's, makes sense in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they were like going to be a big giant fireball if they. That's uh, the only. That that's the only thing. I mean, they could have went underground and escaped through the sewer, and went around the trucks and been all happy. But they never do anything like that. <laughs> but then you would have had that smell on you. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the smell that old man in the sewer. <laughs> I gotta change my clothes. I don't like a smell over me. Well, so far, Maximum Overdrive hasn't been given a Blu-ray release or anything like that. It's out on DVD. I have it on a uh, split DVD with Raw Deal. Whoa. Hilarious. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah. So it's that. on DVD. It's on Vudu on HD to rent, rent for it. like you $2.99. Can't... You can't buy it, though. Yeah, weird. Which is, which is weird. Um, but it is – I think it's on Blu-ray in Germany. Mm. And it's known as like Bravido. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm going to look it up. You talk. I'm gonna look Bravito up. Okay. Well, I was gonna ask you, Brett. How did the HD transfer look? It actually looks. It looks decent. Yeah, I was. I was. um, You know, because usually with those uh, with those types of things, um, you know, a lot of the Lionsgate movies, it's just you know the HD masters and whatever. Right. Well, I'm just saying, like it's like you know maybe 720. Yeah. P sometimes, but this actually looked fairly decent. So I was. I was I was happy with it. This is what I th- I feel like if some company comes along and they have the proper. Oh, it's planning, actually Italian. It's not German, oh. and it, it means thrill. Nice. Um, if they have Shoot the, the thrill, <laughs> Wait, I oh that God. song doesn't play it, in the song. If but. they have the proper planning, they can do a killer like collector's edition with this. You got you know I mean I, I would love. Why don't to you hear... write to Lionsgate so okay. we can get that? Uh, it's the Lionsgate copy. Yeah, Lionsgate title. But I mean you know. I would love to hear Stephen King talk candidly about the film. Is you know, there's been enough time. I think he can talk about it now. Speak honestly, oh, yeah, honestly, and about it. You know, you got uh, yeah, revisit it and just yeah, you know, give, there's enough for the actors. Give him a bunch of coke around. and do commentary. Yeah, it'd be I'd want to. I'd want to hear amazing. Joe Hill talk about it. That's what I would want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> like my dad was on some shit, guys. <laughs> totally. But I think this is one that, you know, if you do the proper planning, you can have a pretty fun, you know, documentary super with great. this. It's just, what's, yeah, what's Emilio Estevez doing? Not, he's nothing. Got, probably got, got a couple got Lifetime movies he's <laughs> waiting to get checks from. He's got some time to kill. Uh, what, is, what is he doing? No, what is Emilio? I don't know. What is but good, I, I what mean, is good would, old Emilio up to? But you got to think, outside of Stephen King, the person in that movie who has the most amount of money is Yardley Smith. Yeah, it's true. 
Yeah. <laughs> She's the one who made it. She has yeah. more Emmys than anyone in that wow. movie. <laughs> That's incredible yeah, and to it's, think about. It's probably why a lot of those people like just kind of throw that to the, you know, don't want to be associated with it. You know, it's such a... It's like Susan Sarandon with Rocky Horror. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall for that entire production. Oh, man. You know, because that's that's something I would like to see. Like, you know, fucking let's make a documentary about fucking how they filmed Lord of the Rings. I know how they filmed it. They filmed it in New Zealand on a green screen. Whoa. (laughs) Big fucking deal. That's the Hobbit, not the Lord of the Rings. Or whatever, you know. But, like, stuff like this... This is a fucking story. Oh yeah, this is a movie within a movie. Well, that's why I love this. This article gets really in depth on, over on Slash Film. Um, it's, I think it's the most in, in, most in depth that I've found. So I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to it. It's pretty great. But yeah, I mean, please do. I want to check that out. The only thing that yeah. really makes this the heavy metal horror film is the soundtrack. The by soundtrack, ACDC yeah. And, well, I mean, that's mo- a lot of these movies is yeah. you know, all about the soundtrack. So it wasn't released as you know Maximum Overdrive the soundtrack. It was really it was just their their newest album. Oh, yeah. What was the name of the album? No, no, it's a compilation. Is it a compilation? Okay. Yeah, it's See? it's from okay. it's from their uh, album Who Made Who. Mm. But, I mean, I think there's, like, three songs, I want to say, that were made specifically for Maximum Overdrive. Okay. Gotcha. But other than that, it's just a, a compl- – because Hell's Bells was on uh, Back in Black. Right, 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 right. You right, Shook right. Me All Night Long was on Back in Black. Yeah. So, no, it's a compilation, but maybe there was some kind of rights issues because I know ACDC is really funky about their rights to the music. Maybe they didn't want to have – maybe because of the, the failure of the movie – they Never didn't want, you know, because sometimes those things came out afterwards, even though you think they probably would have like I, I kind of want to look up TV spots of that to see if they were because that would be a way to get people into the theater. Be like complete soundtrack, 100 yeah, percent. I want to say that they did use it. <clears throat> if I remember, correctly, I want to say I've seen a trailer where they do promote it or at least like a poster or something yeah. where they do promote it with. You know, and including original soundtrack by ACDC. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting to to see if they actually if they went if they went that route. But um, they, yeah, I mean, they have a cameo in it too. Yeah, they have a cameo um, on the bridge. Which, in their van. which man, it's just so. Funny. I know on the VHS they they say music by ACDC on the VHS oh, really? cover. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's something that we need to put like every piece of like video of trailers <laughs> in the show notes because I think oh, that God. is extremely entertaining. I'll see what I can do. If I can't get them up by the time I post the show, check back. I'll, well, I'll get them on there. Yeah. So we want, we, you know, we want really to get funny. this out in time. I don't want to delay this at all. No, 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 no. But, I'm, um, I'm just saying, like, it's even fun to even if we would just tweet tweet that stuff because I think that. Oh would yeah. Be really, really yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. We'll do it for sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm a fan of ACDC. It's funny. My daughter's been hearing ACDC a lot in movies that we've been watching because uh, we've been watching going through Iron Man. And she's there's another movie that ACDC was in, and she was like, "Who is this band?" And I'm like, "By the time we get to Iron Man 2, I was a like, misogynist. I go, "Hey, Danny, what's this? What's this band?" And she's like, "ACDC." I'm like, "Hell yeah, it's my girl." <laughs> <laughs> so she's a, and I don't know, if she's a fan of ACDC, but she at least she knows who they are. That's so, a start. It is ACDC's fun. I don't know. <clears throat> they they they, 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 they do the are... same. They have the they have they've stuck to their same kind of shtick. Uh, 
forever. I mean, every you know it's an ACDC song. It has the same type of beat, same type That's of riffs. That's the only thing that I'm not a fan of is that you really can't tell too many of the songs apart. They didn't really – I mean, I feel like the only thing – the one album they really tried to at least reinvent themselves a little bit was Razor's Edge. It was a little bit different at the time. But even then, you know, then it kind of goes into their own – their familiar territory. But Yeah. You know, but I'm, I'm an ACDC fan. I don't know. So anyway, um, moving on. You guys ready to jump into some VHS action? Oh, my God. Video. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. God. <laughs> Nikki. Well, here we are at last. Right where we ought to be. Video. Today we are talking Hacko Lantern from, I believe it's 1988, correct? Do you say Lantern? Hacko Lantern. There you Lantern. go. Lantern. 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 I can hear nothing anymore. <laughs> this was also Wait, known as Halloween no, Night, and it was also known as. Uh, I only know it's Halloween Night. I don't know if anything it's else. It's known as something else too. Uh, Massacre Video had a tie. They're releasing it as. Uh, yeah, they're they're doing a Blu-ray though. Are they doing a Blu-ray of it? As far as I know, they found it was a it was a, oh, a direct video. It was a. Oh uh, yeah. It was a. Uh, straight to video release but it was filmed yeah. on 35 oh was it oh man that'd be cool yeah. and i i've i think that i've read from massacre video that this is will be their first blu-ray because of the quality of the film that they found nice because i think so, last i saw they were just going to re-release a vhs of it that's a really bad idea from the stuff that i saw and i was just we, uh, let me get the number i'll tell them no I was just casually Googling. And I, I got see them in April website. at Wasteland, and I could okay. be like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it's not, like, I, I would definitely, you know, because this is a film that didn't have a DVD release that, you know, suffered, you know, greatly. Um, and it's actually not that bad of a movie, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's, it's like, fun. It's, it's a oh, goofball. so much fun. It's, it's a really goofy movie, but, I mean, this is a type of shit that we love right here. It's a hodgepodge of like every little weird subculture <laughs> just kind of like thrown into one. Like, here's some cults, here's some Satanism, here's some metal, oh, here's man. some gore, here's some bubble bath titties. Like, ah, this oh, is man. awesome. The, the nudity bubble was ridiculous. Bath um, How does somebody have that much bubbles in their bubble bath and still show their tits? <laughs> like, I'm genuinely impressed. Because it's she a won- horror movie in the to, 80s. She, she wanted to show them titties. And she showed them, and we ain't, are all thankful. Ain't nothing wrong with showing them titties. 
So uh, it's it's <laughs> worth it enough for me for the basically the music video by DC Lacroix 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 C R O I X. Let's just let's just leave Lacroix? it. Lacroix Lacroix Lacroix. Okay. Um, I was just letting him go. I didn't want to correct him. You know, crazy. It's a very popular drink without any aspartame. I figured you'd know what it is. <laughs> but that you scene. Why you vape? That scene made it worth it. Vape. Hey, Leo DiCaprio vapes. Wow. People are all making fun of him now. I don't. I do not vape anymore. By the way, I have given that up. Uh, I've said that before Unless- on the show. Yeah, thank God. Wow, we don't believe it. I'm 100 douchebag free. Put your vape pen in your fedora hat and your jankos <laughs> and go have a ceremonial totally. burning in your backyard. <laughs> I should. I think the 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 jinkos are long gone, but uh, I could. Well, you know, I, I actually threw away all my vape stuff too. I just chucked it all. Anyway, but enough about me. Um, Congratulations. So the song is called "Devil's Son." And Son. that scene is awesome. Probably, my, I think it's my favorite thing in the movie. And uh, I, I love really better than uh, Greg Greg Cummings acting. <laughs> his fantastic. eyeballs. I felt those is, things like, were going to pop out of his skull at any moment. When people watch this, <laughs> like if you guys watch this, like our listeners, you're going to watch and be like, "I know this guy from somewhere. <laughs> He's the bug-eyed bad guy in every fucking movie you could possibly think of." Pretty much. <laughs> And he has, and he had quite the career. Like he's still very active, and oh, man, he always plays the fucking crazy guy. I mean, a with a face fun. like that, wouldn't you? I guess so. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I love uh, I love the the, the guys um, our our main character. So there's two main characters, right? There's two brothers. Right, uh, and then the girlfriend. But I love how the the heavy metal brother, the one who could be going down a dark path, his little basement dungeon. Um, when his <laughs> oh, and he's God. been like working out, working up a sweat, and his little brother comes in and goes, "Oh, it's stuffy in here." And he's like, "That's the way I like it." <laughs> I, I died, <laughs> dude. When when they do like that, uh, when they do like that metal lock. Like with 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 uh, with the grandfather, and they do the <laughs> devil horns, and like they just push oh them god, it's so funny. Those are the devil horns. They're doing "I love you" in sign language. It's yes. not the devil horns. They do it wrong. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> what? What? Okay, we're we're just we're just going all over the place with Hack Lantern here. But what is the plot? If if any, you can string together. I mean, this is a very loosely stringed together quote-unquote plot i feel like it kind of goes from the grandpa right wants his son well, he, no, well no oh god his, his grandfather him. is when you do oh, plots sean i'm not very good at it ever <laughs> it's very easy it's not that go ahead bj okay so tommy is kind of our main dude and his grandfather is a leader of um a satanic cult hence the um I love you hands slash <laughs> hands. Um, Tommy's dad is no more. He he has ceased to be. Um, and his mom's a buzzkill who doesn't like that he's now into metal. Um, and then, of course, it takes place on Halloween night because it, 
why the fuck wouldn't it? Halloween day for most of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, like why why the fuck wouldn't it take place on Halloween though? Um, And his grandfather is organizing a ritual. Um, But in addition to this satanic ritual, there is also grave robberies. Yeah. There is a mass killer on the loose. (laughs) (laughs) Things are not going too well for Tommy. He's having a bad Halloween. Yeah. I think I was trying to connect it all together, and I was just like, there's all this random stuff happening, and there's no through line. Uh, You can kind of make one, but that's really about it. Like, that's that's the best that I can do. Let's. The grandpa is played by High Pike. High Pike. High Pike. High Pike. And he is off the hook crazy. I love it. He's, like, it's Where very creepy. Where find this guy? It's is very he Blade creepy. Runner? He's in Blade Runner. Okay. He's also and very, like, there's this incestuous, like, thing going on, it feels yeah. like, throughout the movie, too. Like, when he, like, with the little boy, when he first meets him, and he's like, hey, <laughs> I have something for you in the back of my truck. What is it, Grandma? <laughs> and it's like, bro, what is up with yeah. you? In like, the whole thing, like, with the mom on her wedding day, like, he's... He's trying to bone his daughter. Yeah, was that like I don't know if that was a memory or if that was a fantasy. I couldn't really. Uh... It doesn't matter. It's in the movie, and yeah. it's uncomfortable. It's very so uncomfortable. like it's just it's weird. Like how you know I, I don't know. It's it's it it's kind of an underlying thing in the movie that it makes me. It, it is very weird. Yeah. So and oh, if and man. when you watch the other uh, film that we'll be talking about later on, Hard Rock Nightmare, the grandfather. Feels like it's the same fucking character. <laughs> because in that movie, they make believe the kid is led to believe his grandfather's a vampire because his grandfather keeps acting like one. So he truly believes. So he kills his grandfather with a stake mm. and he realizes he fucked up. However, he speaks the same like, oh, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I'm a vampire. It's like what's up with heavy metal horror movies and having weird grandpas? Because like <laughs> Hard Rock Zombies has like the the grandpa who's actually Hitler and the grandma that's actually a werewolf, like weird through line too. Is that, yeah, is that like a thing? Is that is that on like the list of things? If you make a heavy metal horror movie, you need weird old grandparents. I don't know. I mean, I would I would uh, I would have to look at that and and see if that's like a thing if that continues. But I, I mean, other than those movies, I, I don't know. I'd have to put my mind to it. Huh? Huh? Hmm. Knowledge is power. Well, it's cool. That, uh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be excited to see when, if when massacre video puts out a Blu-ray of this, I'd be excited to watch it. Cause the, the copy I was watching was, uh, pretty worse for wear. This was like a VHS copy that had been ran over, buried, dug back up again, boiled in a pot of water, and then, wow! Uh, You're really bad at describing place. what VHS looks like. It looked horrible. A lot. Um, <laughs> so, I'd be excited to see this. You know, actually looking decent. Uh, I had, a, but I did have a lot of fun with this goofy ass movie. The kills are actually, you know, pretty well done. Especially the uh, Miss uh, Miss Bubble Bath gets it pretty good. Yeah, hers is 
Hers is pretty good. I'm a big fan of the shovel to the head kill. Mm. Um, it's pretty brutal. There's way more blood than there needs to be, but I'm not <laughs> complaining. And what was up with the weird grave sex scene? <laughs> well, now, there's nothing wrong uh, with There's grave no sex. such thing. Was, now, Have you seen d- Delamorte, Delamorte? Well, yes, I mean... That that scene is forever burned in my brain. You got really excited to say yes <laughs> to the, that. One of the one of the you know one of the best scenes in uh, in cinema, I'd have to say. Yeah. But uh, the, it was Man, the girl. Wa- did you. the girl know the corpse was beneath them? Because they never really. Uh, no one gets freaked out or anything. It just uh, happens on the grave, and they're um. happy go lucky when they're done. Did I miss something? Mm. Was something edited? Mm. No, they're they're happy getting on the on the motorcycle going away. Maybe it's that the the poontang was just so good. I that guess it doesn't matter that there was a corpse underneath. I guess I was just a really weird. Uh, they just don't I give a fuck. Fig- I figured they would kind of follow through with that, but they did not. Still, very uh, interesting scene. Hmm. Because it's really not a sex scene. They basically start making out. You know what's going to happen, and uh, then all of a sudden they're they're done and skip into the motorcycle. Hmm. Hmm. No. I no. I'm I'm trying to like think back. I don't really. Uh, I mean, that's that. It didn't really yeah, stand didn't out really to me. Well, she like grabs yeah, the corpse's hand, and I was like, oh then shit. I'm but I'm assuming she knows that it's there. I, yeah, and I think there's some this weird. This is uh, what gets her gets her motor running. Yeah, weird. Do you okay. want Do you want to fuck me on top of your dead mom? That type yep. of thing, huh? Yep. You're next. Sick reference, Brad. <laughs> Sick reference. <laughs> awesome. So I was I was uh, looking up on the side. Apparently, they announced the Blu-ray, but just never did anything with it. They re-released it on VHS, yeah. but that's it. What the fuck? Yeah, All right, someone so, needs to talk to Master Video and ask him what the fuck is going on. Yeah, because that's uh, I'm kind of curious to know. Because that's what I saw. I, I thought I saw that it was they released the VHS. Weird. I wonder if yeah, something they, happened with the with the master they had. Uh, we will know. we will research this. I'll let yeah. you guys know. Investigation time. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's gonna that's gonna do it for this week's show, guys. This is a long ass show. But I think yeah, it was hopefully worth you have it. a lot of driving to do, folks. <laughs> um, we are going to be we are lining up uh, for next week's show. Mike McBeardo McPadden to be on the show to talk heavy metal movies. Um, Brad, do you have the list in front of you of what we will be watching at least for VHS? Oh my God, next week. Um, well, I'll just list the movies so that way, I mean, I know that we're going to be watching Hard Rock Nightmare and Terror on Tour and Rocktober Blood. Okay. So those, those, are, on, are, those are on the list to cover within the yeah, next few weeks. Those are three, um, heavy metal horror movies for VHS and then Stream Screams is going to be Strange Lands. Oh, that's right. Uh, Turbulence 3, Heavy Metal. And we're still trying to find a third one or a fourth one. Turbulence three. Yeah. Turbulence three is a heavy metal horror movie. Nice. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Um, we'll be doing one of the, we'll be doing two of those next week. I'm excited. I'm really excited about heavy metal horror. I think next week we'll be diving into, 
uh, a hell of a lot of heavy metal horror movies. So uh, if you haven't bought the book, Heavy Metal Movies, what the fuck are you doing? Handle that shit. Get on it. It's a fucking great Says book. the guy who just it just arrived on my doorstep like yesterday. It's so good. It's I'm having a lot of fun reading it. Um, I can't wait to talk to Mike uh, about some of this stuff. Um, so let's see here. So yeah, I can't think all of a sudden. It's getting late. You guys, I can't believe sponsors. Sponsors. That's right. Uh, go to the screamcast.com slash sponsors. And you know, there's all the information there, uh, of our sponsors and how you can get 10% off, uh, certain things. Go to coffee shop of horrors. You can use the code screamcast and, uh, over at grindhousevideo.com. You can use the code screamcast 10 on any order over $25. You'll get 10% off. Uh, Wolfman of Mars, please download their music. Check it out. Give them some money for their music. Uh, we love them and very grateful that they let us uh, that they actually wrote a song for our show and used it in their their album. And then finally, Kevin Spencer uh, buy his art over at inkspatters.net. and uh, just tell them that we sent you. And uh, of course, one of us net. Want to thank them for putting up with our last minute uh, shows that we do. So. I think that's all. That's all I got for plugs. Do you guys have anything? No, they just said I love you, Sean. Thanks, Brad. I tolerate you. <laughs> I was just gonna say, if you're gonna buy stuff from Coffee Shop of Horrors, I highly recommend the Roastbusters Morning Blend because I had it today, and it's the only reason I didn't kill anyone at work. <laughs> awesome. Um, I was gonna do a drawing today, but I want to kind of uh, think it through a little more. Uh, for next week so that by week three we'll actually do the drawing so um if you buy anything from uh from anybody of our sponsors email us at readme at the screamcast.com with a screenshot of your transaction uh showing that you bought something from them we'll enter you into the drawing if you back tex montana will survive uh email us your transaction of that as well and we'll enter you into into said drawing. So there's a couple ways you can get into the drawing. Next week we'll uh, we'll have some sort of question for you to contribute to the show that we can. I love reading emails. We haven't got emails in a while, so I want to be able to do that. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll pose a question next week for you to respond um, for for the following week. Uh, that's gonna do it for this week's show. I want to thank all you guys for listening. Bye bye. Oh, yeah. See you later. Bye. 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 Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun. I was just not in a good. I had a really bad day at work, and I was hey, like, "Fuck it, milkshake." I hear ya. Been there, done that. My wife forced me to drink some champagne tonight, so you know. <laughs> she's gonna try and make you put another baby in her. <laughs> she can't shoot in blanks now. Surgically, yeah, surgically good job. altered. Yeah.